here. Commissioner Griffin, are you here with us on the WebEx? Well, he should be here shortly. Um, if one of the commissioners could maybe reach out to him and if he's having any trouble. Yeah. Commissioner Halsey? Here. Commissioner Louie? Here. Commissioner Mazzola? Here. And Commissioner Jupiter Jones has an excused absence. The San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatush Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded lost nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As stewards of parkland, we recognize our duty to honor the Ohlone through thoughtful and informed preservation and interpretation of ancestral land. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. Good morning and welcome to the Recreation and Park Commission meeting of May 18th, 2023. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall room 416 with options to join and provide public comment both in person and remotely. We ask that you please turn off electronic devices and take any secondary conversations outside in order for the meeting to proceed as efficiently as possible. We ask listeners to turn down your televisions and or computers while listening on the phone. We ask for your patience if we experience any technical issues. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Unless otherwise announced by the president, each person will have two minutes for public comment on each item. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting remotely. Uh, sorry, from <laughs> I apologize. We'll take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. If you would like to speak on any item today and you are here in person, we request but do not require you to complete a blue card, which are up here at the front of the room. And then once you fill it out, please just put it on this table beside me and I will collect them. For those who would like to join the meeting remotely, you may view the live meeting on SFGovTV or via webinar using the link provided at the top of today's agenda. You may provide public comment remotely via our webinar or via phone by calling 415-655-0001 using today's access code 2597-383-8987 and webinar password 0518. When you hear the agenda item you would like to comment on called, dial star three to be added to the queue to speak. You will be lined up in the system in the order you dial star three. The system will notify you when you are in line and waiting, during which time the system will be silent. All callers will remain on mute until their line is open. Everyone must account for the time delays and speaking discrepancies between live coverage and streaming. And for the record, I'd like to note that I do see Commissioner Griffin here on our WebEx. Please address your comments to the commission during public comment on items. In order to allow equal time for all, neither the commission nor staff will respond to any questions during public comment. The commission may ask questions of staff after public comment is closed. If there is an item of interest to you that is not on the agenda and is under the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, you may speak under general public comment and that is item four and continue to item 12. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways by emailing recpark.commission at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be included in the legislative file as part of the matter. Written comments may also be sent via the U.S. Postal Service to San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission, 
501 Stanyon Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. The following are short announcements for those of you joining us in person today. If the fire alarms activate, you must evacuate the building in an orderly fashion using any exit. Please note that elevators will immediately return to the first floor and are not available for use. <clears throat> if you need assistance out of the building, please make your way to the closest area of refuge, which is directly across the hall in the men's restroom. Inside the restroom is a speaker box. Press it and City Hall security will answer. Let them know your location and they will assist you. For the record, I note that Commissioner Griffin is attending this meeting remotely. Commissioner Griffin is reminded that they must appear on camera throughout the meeting in order to speak or vote on any matters. And because Commissioner Griffin is attending remotely, all votes at this meeting must be taken by roll call. Please note that this commission meeting is recorded and will be available for later viewing on sfgovtv.org. We are now on item two, the president's report. Thank you very much. Uh, two quick items. Uh, I generally like to point out when we get positive communications and we can pass them on. This is a uh, letter to Mr. Ginsburg. I'm writing to express my admiration and gratitude for one of your park employees who assisted us this weekend in our annual Mother's Day show at the Hall of Flowers in Golden Gate Park. Cynthia Lee, who managed and supervised the facility for our event, was just a phenomenal asset on both days, helping us with coordinating our supplies, setting up, and reminders. She was always on hand by cell phone and text. She was always available, cheerful and helpful, providing the highest level of customer service to our group and was very easy to talk to. Her organizational abilities enabled me to manage multiple tasks with tight deadlines while maintaining accuracy. She also has an excellent understanding of park rules and regulations, which helped me provide effective guidance for visitors. Her enthusiasm and expertise in her job is a great asset to your organization. All the best, Marianne Razzo, San Francisco Rose Society. And secondly is an email, and uh, it says, Hi, Phil, I'm reaching out because I want to pass along my gratitude to a few people on your team. My house borders the Vitamin O'Farrell Mini Park in Western Edition. My kitchen window looks directly into it. In fact, because of that, I'm easily impacted negatively or positively by the operations and usage of the park. First, Mary Lehman. I located her on a website. Is amazing. I regularly clean around the park in my house and frequently talk with her. She clearly is passionate about her work and takes a lot of pride in what she does. Second, we recently uh, were impacted by people who have been uh, pushed from the Tenderloin into our neighborhood, and he goes on to talk about homeless issues, etc. I've called SFPD a number of times, uh, but they really can't be bothered. I have empathy for their staffing shortage, et cetera, et cetera. Recently, I was directed to your department and have found your team to be responsive and very helpful. I've called your team twice for help and both times received prompt and professional responses. Most recently, I spoke with Ranger Whitted, who was a breath of fresh air. I don't know what you're doing to inspire your team, but please continue down that path. If you have a chance, I'd love it if you could pass along my gratitude as well. Living and working in San Francisco has been a struggle as of late, and your team is making a positive difference. And those are really, uh, I know they just come from citizens who encounter the park uh, staff, but uh, when they take the time to express that gratitude, uh, the staff should be uh, acknowledged uh, as well. So thank you very much. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Mr. President. Okay, we'll now take public comment on the president's report. This is just on item two. If 
anyone in the room has comment on item two, you can come up to the speaker now. Okay, seeing none, do we have oh, any? We do oh, have someone. Oh, come on up. This is on the president's report. Yes. Okay. I want to add something to your comment, Mr. Buell. Please. Um, I have had almost a daily experience working with the uh, park police, and they are excellent. And um, that's all I'm going to say. I want to, I want to say that. And I miss Tootie, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone else in room 416? Okay, do we have any hands raised on our line on the president's report? Looks like one caller, if you could unmute the first speaker. Never had anybody comment. <laughs> so for some reason I'm unmuted, but I wanna comment on item eight. Oh, okay. Well, you can go ahead and raise your hand again when that item comes up in the agenda. Thank you. Seeing no other callers. Although SFGovTV is, okay, great. <laughs> Seeing no other callers, public comment is closed. We're now on item three, the general manager's report. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, I want to start my report by acknowledging and celebrating that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Uh, there have been several events in our parks this month celebrating the history, culture, and contributions of our AAPI community, including an AAPI uh, Heritage Month celebration at the Japantown Peace Plaza this past weekend, a Taiwanese-American cultural festival at Union Square, a Children's Day festival at the Japantown Peace Plaza, and the Chow Fun Asian Dine Around, an eight-day event that is celebrating the Asian community and small businesses in the city's Excelsior District. It has a, a, a big fun event, uh, actually, this Saturday. Um, next Thursday, May 25th, our department's Asian American and Pacific Islander Employee Affinity Group will host an AAPI Heritage Month lunch at the County Fair Building. The theme of the event is comfort food and how, and thank you for the, the bun this morning, speaking of comfort food, uh, Commissioner <laughs> Louie, uh, and how food is oftentimes the language through which many families and generations communicate. And that is a theme that transcends culture a hundred uh, all of you have been invited, so we hope to see you there for what is sure to be an enlightening and delicious affair. Yesterday, uh, Mayor Breed announced the city will partner with Kaboom, uh, which is a national nonprofit that is engaging on a five-year plan toward achieving place-based equity in 25 priority places across the United States. Uh, through the initiative, Kaboom and Reckon Park will lead an ambitious $10 million plan to address gaps in access to quality, nature-rich children's place spaces in communities that disproportionately lack resources. And the initiative, which also counts on the collaborative San Francisco Children in Nature, will be rolled out in two phases. Under the first phase, Kaboom will lead a fundraising campaign with a goal of uh, $2.5 million, with the city matching city, meaning us, matching that amount to improve four playgrounds located in the city's equity zones, which, as you are aware, are defined by the state of California as communities with a high concentration of one or more vulnerable population characteristics. The first four sites to undergo place-based transformation under this initiative will include Silver Terrace Playground, Tenderloin Recreation Center, Randolph Bright Mini Park, and the Purple Playground in Crocker Amazon, which was a, a, a original Kaboom project many years ago. 
the launch of this phase marks the first step in the long-term plan to ensure every child in San Francisco has a nature-rich place to play in their community. Under the second phase of the initiative, Kaboom will again lead a fundraising campaign with a goal of $2.5 million, with the city matching the city, meaning us, matching that amount to improve four more playgrounds. Details on those sites will be announced at a future date. Um, yesterday, the San Francisco Arts Commission presented to one of its committees uh, its Monuments and Memorials Task Force report. Uh, the monuments and uh, that was drafted by the Monuments and Memorials Advisory Committee, of which uh, which was co-chaired by not just the Arts Commission but by the Human Rights Commission, Cheryl Davis, and your own Recreation and Park Department, uh, me. Uh, the MMAC's charge was to examine the history of monuments in the public realm in San Francisco, the individuals, events, and ideals they venerate, and how the narratives associated with these monuments align or do not align with San Francisco's values today. Uh, the advisory body focused their research on the monuments and memorials within the civic art collection. As part of that uh, overall report and information gathering, which included uh, many, 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 many meetings over the course of a year, uh, uh, both among the task force and public meetings, uh, all kinds of data collection and uh, surveying. Uh, you may have seen the story in the paper yesterday. There was a survey about what San Francisco's favorite and least favorite monuments are, uh, because this is a happy day. I'll focus on the most favorite monuments, which included uh, Lada's Fountain, Mechanics Monument, and then in our own park system, the Holocaust Memorial at Lincoln Park, and the Comfort Women Memorial at St. Mary's Square. So more to come on this, but this was really a roadmap for how the city and the Arts Commission specifically will evaluate uh, its monuments and memorials going forward. Uh, it was so nice to hear some public comment about our park rangers uh, because we are happy to announce the promotion of two of them, Ranger Antoine Fisher and Ranger uh, Carlo Calacal to the rank of 8210 head park ranger. Uh, I, I uh, hope you'll uh, join me in congratulating them as they start their new journey as San Francisco Park Ranger Sergeants. And I really want to thank Commissioner Louie for being in, uh, in attendance a couple of weeks ago at their swearing-in and pinning uh, ceremony. It was really... Oh, and Commissioner Hallisey. I'm sorry, you were there too. Was anybody else there that I'm... No, no, you're okay. Okay, I'm still on vacation brain <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, thank you both for being there. It meant so much to the families and specifically to Sergeants Calacal and Fisher. Um, congratulations also to... Park Ranger Amanda Barrows, who was honored by the Rotary Club of San Francisco at its annual Emergency Services Day event back in February. Uh, Ranger Barrows was honored for her role as a homeless outreach ranger and for her efforts to transition unhoused individuals in our parks to permanent housing. She was also recognized for recently saving the lives of two individuals who are experiencing medical emergencies. Each year, <coughs> excuse me, the Rotary Club of San Francisco honors public safety employees from the fire department, the Department of Emergency Management, the police department, the sheriff's office, Coast Guard, and recreation and parks. So we were very pleased uh, that Ranger Barrows got this recognition. Uh, we're very excited to announce the Merced Heights Lower Terrace is set to reopen tomorrow, uh, Friday, May 19th, from noon to 1, after the park underwent a recent improvement project. Some exciting new features include an upgraded and accessible entrance at the field level from Shield Street. For those of you who don't know the space, it's, Shields is a very, very steep, steep road. 
uh, as well as accessibility improvements between the lower lawn entrance and the Bixby Street playground entrance. Additionally, the park has a new plaza, a new pathway, new seating, a dog play area, plantings, new exercise equipment, and landscaping improvements. Another feature, a tile mosaic wall that recognizes community members who have made significant contributions to the park and advocated for the renovation. Friday's celebration will feature brief remarks and refreshments and a demonstration of the new fitness equipment by local seniors. We hope to see everyone there. Uh, it is a very, very busy weekend uh, in our parks. Another event making a big splash this weekend, the free Bayview Community Swim Day at MLK Pool. Uh, celebrating the end of the school year in the beginning of summer. The event will feature free rec swimming, as well as games and activities, giveaways, and information on swimming resources for Bayview Hunters Point residents. The event comes just after repairs at MLK Pool are completed, <coughs> and just as National Water Safety Month is underway. Just like our Bayview Safety Swim and Splash program, this event is all about the passing on of safe swimming practices and ensuring that residents are aware of the current India Basin Waterfront Project. That's happening this Saturday at MLK Pool from 1 to 4. Also this Saturday, the Golden State Ducks uh, of the Bay Area Outreach and Recreation Program, otherwise known as BORP, and the Recreation and Park Department present the Bay Bridge Bowl Power Soccer Tournament on Saturday, May 20th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Gene Friend Rec Center. Uh, power soccer is an adaptive sport played in sp specially modified power wheelchairs. The Golden State Ducks are a local power soccer program that practices at Gene Friend Rec Center and is a collaboration with Bor Borup and Rec and Park. The program welcomes beginner and experienced players and participants can enjoy uh, practice play or high-level tournament competition. Back to India Basin, 16 participants from a construction training program under uh, the ongoing India Basin Waterfront Park Equitable Development Plan Initiative are set to graduate next Tuesday, May 23rd. Part of the uh, Equitable Development Plan, or EDP as we call it, uh, this four-week training prepared participants for union careers as carpenters, laborers, cement masons, and other skilled workers. Swinnerton, the construction firm building the southern part of the new India Basin Park, has committed to hiring at least 10 of the graduates on this or other local projects. Uh, these free trainings were provided in partnership with the uh, OEWD, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and its City Build Academy and project partners, including APRI, the Trust for Public Land, San Francisco Parks Alliance, and of course, Rec and Park, all part of the exciting things we're doing out at India Basin. Uh, more on that front, a community safety health and wellness fair will kick off summer is going to take place at India Basin Shoreline Park on June 3rd from 12 to 4 hosted by the Malcolm X Elementary PTO and the Willie Brown Middle School community. This event will offer free food, carnival games, and registration for summer camps. You can log on to sfrecpark.org for more information. Uh, last Saturday, Rec and Park partnered with the Rotary Club uh, that I just referred to to host the club's annual day of service at the Golden Gate Park Bison Paddock with Commissioner Louie in attendance. The day consisted of habitat restoration with volunteers removing over seven truckloads of weeds. Uh, bison are some of our most beloved and longest standing residents in Golden Gate Park and we're so grateful to the Rotary Club and all the volunteers for helping to restore their habitat to its natural beauty. Uh, spring is in the air, the Giants just, just took three from my hometown Phillies. So 
Registration is now open for Giants Academy. This free academy is a partnership between the Giants Community Fund and Rec and Park and aims to bring a competitive baseball and softball academy this summer. The eight-week program starts on June 12th and provides young players from middle school to high school with a challenging curriculum, allowing them to work on their game during the off-season. Those interested can register at a uh, at academies. Oh, okay. At Academy SF Rec.leagueapps.com. Let me do that again. Uh, you can register at Academy SF Rec.leagueapps.com. Uh, as we're moving into summer, it's that time of year again. Sundown Cinema is back in our parks, uh, hosted by the terrific San Francisco Parks Alliance. With the first event of the year starting on Friday, June 8th at beautiful Alamo Square Park. The inaugural movie will be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The free Sundown Cinema events are wildly popular, loved by all San Franciscans. So bring some popcorn. I recommend a blanket. And get ready for some campy fun starting next month. And more events are on the way all summer long. More info can be found at sfrecpark.org and uh, sanfranciscoparksalliance.org. Uh, sticking around in June, looking ahead to June, uh, we've got Juneteenth and Pride coming up with a long list of Juneteenth and Pride events happening in our parks. But because I know it's a long meeting, Mr. President, and because you like a concise general manager's report, uh, I will just ask people to stay we'll work on that next I'm month. I'm still working on it. I will uh, ask people to uh, just log in to sfrecpark.org for all the wonderful things happening in our parks in June, and that. Uh, Mr. President and Commissioners concludes the General Manager's report. Thank you very much. All right, we're now on public comment on the General Manager's report only on item three. Um, we'll start with people in room 416, and then I'll move to people who are on our line. But again, for the, those on our WebEx, it's just item three. Go right ahead. Um, Patricia Voy, Mr. Ginsburg, I saw that you mentioned senior programs. I've got access to... Uh, large playing cards for the blind and the deaf for the seniors, and I, which I've provided for some of the uh, housing projects. And if you need those resources, I will be glad to help you with them. Thank you so much, Patricia. I really okay. appreciate thank that. You. I'll follow up with you after the meeting. Okay, thank you. Anyone else in the room? Come on up. Good morning, commissioners. My name is Christina Martinez, um, and as a member of the lower income and a person of color, I am calling for more equitable access to open space in the Tenderloin, Lower Polk, and Lower Knob Hill neighborhoods. My call is for the urgency to prioritize the allocation of voter establishment open space acquisition funding to the Tenderloin, <coughs> Lower Polk, and Lower Knob Hill neighborhoods to reaffirm our city's commitment to serving low to moderate income families. As city representatives, we ask that you reassess your strategies and prioritize to include the needs of our most vulnerable communities who live in crowded homes and desperately need access to open space. This open space and recreation activities improve residents' physical and mental health. Open spaces and recreational facilities offer a wide range of health-related benefits. They also provide residents and visitors to exercise and give residents access to sunshine, nature, and the fresh air, and even encourage people to walk or bike from place to place. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you. Just as a reminder, um, this is a comment on the general manager's report. The next item on the agenda is general public comment, and that's open to any subject. Okay, anyone else on item three? But we're moving to item four, which is general public comment. Let me, let me ask Commissioner Hallisey. I see you wanted to say something. As a yes, a couple of comments uh, regarding the general manager's report. Uh, as he said, this is AAPI Community Month. Well, uh, two weeks ago, right here in this room at our operations committee, we were able to announce that uh, Catherine Stephanie, uh, Supervisor Stephanie, had uh, put together a resolution um, saluting the work in the AAPI community by our own Commissioner uh, Vanita Louie. Uh, a well, definitely a well-deserved, well-deserved honor here. And it's very interesting. She is, if you don't know her, she's an absolute jewel, great addition to this commission. She never shows up anywhere empty-handed. She brought breakfast for everybody today. General Manager Ginsburg mentioned that she and I attended the pinning ceremony uh, for the two rangers that, that reached the rank of sergeant. And at that event at McLaren Lodge, she brought socks for everybody. <laughs> for everybody in the house. And there was a great buffet following the event, but everybody just w went right for the socks, and they were the hottest item on the buffet. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Commissioner Louie, again, congratulations on that honor. Uh, Well-deserved. She doesn't run around the halls here at Civic Center uh, talking about all the, uh, the honors and accolades that she has received. But uh, she's a great addition to this commission and to the city as well, and thank you very much, Commissioner. Thank you. It looks like we have one hand raised on our WebEx for public comment on item number three. So I'll ask that you unmute this caller, please. Thank you. Uh, Patricia. Uh, my name is Anthony Solo. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. So I object to the calendaring of item eight for consideration with only three days notice. Um, specifically, I know that you guys had a bunch of secret planning meetings for that item. That we're not, there was no Brown Act notice of any of those meetings. And now you want to permit an additional 60,000 person event, uh, basically uh, with no prior notice of any other meetings. And that's just totally unacceptable. It's got to be illegal. And I think you should take it off count. Thank you, Andrew. Let's try to keep moving to general public comment where we can talk about more general things that um, are That's not on today's agenda. Me. Thank you. Okay, did you... Let's start over again. Okay, you are... Under general public comment? That's right. Well, let's okay. move to that. We'll finish this item officially and move to that item. Go ahead, uh, Madam Secretary. Okay, thank you. We are now complete with public comment on item three. We're now on general public comment. As a reminder for people in the room, general public comment is for anything that is not on today's agenda. Usually we do 15 minutes. If it, if it goes past that, we can continue it to item 12. You may fill out a blue card if you like. Otherwise, um, you may stand up here. But again, as a reminder, it's just for things that are not actually on today's agenda. Go right ahead. Uh, Patricia Voy, Marina Calhalla, Neighbors Emergence and Pads. Uh, Mr. Buell and Mr. Ginsburg, I'd like to have a meeting with both of you concerning uh, jurisdictional problems between the Presidio Trust, Park and Rec, and a couple of the uh, San Francisco properties. 
because when we call the police, they give us a run around and we can solve this very simply in a short meeting. We may be able to combine it with the next one. We're also asking you to, requesting you to come to a, meet, a separate meeting concerning the harbor renovation. And it's come to my conclu our conclusion that after the last meeting that the PG&E and PUC are not working together. And I want to make sure that if we have any renovations, any changes, that everything's done and done well. Um, and part of the concerns of both boaters as well as some of the neighbors are the problem with the pipe that was plugged up by PUC that caused a flood on Marina Boulevard. And we hear they are thinking about of uh, stopping the other pipe at Laguna, and then the entire marina would be could possibly be flooded. Hmm. We had a flood all the way to, up Pierce to Union in January, and I would like to, we, we need to solve some of these problems while we're working on a renovation, because then there's a seawall that, uh, then there's a seawall that uh, still has a crack from the 89 quake, and there's some money, that has been allocated to that. That has to be in consideration. Uh, the meeting will be non-altercative, working meeting of how we can solve these problems and come up with compromises. And I want you to know that we're here. Uh, we also have parking issues concerning this program. And um, that, that's basically it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And could I ask one thing? Thank you, Mr. Ginsburg, for my offense. And uh, the drugs have gone down 98% because of it. Thank you. Thank you. I also have a blue card for Fran Martin, if you'd like to come up. And then I'll move to those who haven't filled out a card. My name is Fran Martin. I'm affiliated with the Visitation Valley Greenway Gold Program and the McLaren Park Native Plant Garden and the Crosstown Trail. Five years ago, Viz Valley community members lost appeals at the Planning Commission and Board of Soups to save the land at 590 Leland Avenue for development of five three-story upscale housing units adjacent to Mer McLaren Park in Viz Valley in order to add it to McLaren Park. It is on your acquisitions list. Since then, new community and PUC rain gardens have been built adjacent to 590 <coughs> in the first phase of the McLaren Park Native Plant Garden, financed by funds we raised, is near completion. Hundreds of volunteers have made the Native Plant Garden a reality. The 590 uh, site is up for sale again, and it is critical that the city purchase the site to benefit the greater community and restore the integrity of this open space in one of the most underserved communities in the city. The new McLaren Park Native Garden is contiguous to the eventual overall McLaren Park trail system. It is phase one of the proposed three block long native plant landscaping along the trail from Hahn Avenue up to the Visitation Valley Middle School. The mid block from Leland Avenue to Raymond Avenue is where the 590 Leland parcel is situated, bisecting the existing open space diagonally. The proposed massive development will cut off sunlight on the parkland and totally obstruct public views from the park of the Bay, San Bruno Mountain, and Visitation Waterley Watershed. If 590 Leland is developed, it will create a major disruption in the flow of open space, 
with the extreme narrowing of space where the McLaren Park Trail passed through. There's a social path from John King Senior Housing next door and middle school students to travel from school to their homes in Britain Court, Sunnydale, and Heritage Homes projects, as well as the Greater Valley. The constricted space at the northern tip of the diagonal parcel poses problems with designing and building a safe corridor across Raymond Avenue. Now the new native plant garden has shown what the area could be, and we look forward to the safe trail planned by Rec and Park with Thank bond you. funds along. Thank you, Fran. Along visitation, just a <laughs> from on Avenue, I'm almost done to the middle school with native plant landscaping. I know it's just that we, we're not going to be giving everyone extra time. So I did pass. I want you guys. I have some maybe secret sources of money. <laughs> so we love if that. you've got it already, you know we could use it. That that's I and also the Yelamo uh, Indians used to live there. Excuse me, Native Americans. Right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so um, as a reminder, there's a timer on the um, um, table in front of you. At 30 seconds, it will beep. It doesn't mean your time, is, or it will chime. It doesn't mean your time is over, but it gives you a 30-second warning. It looks like we have a couple more people who want to come up and comment, so come on up. And if you don't get through your item, you may email me, and I will share it directly with the commissioners. Hello. My name is Amina Rubio, and I live in Knob Hill, which is District 3. <clears throat> I am wanting to ask you to support the acquisitions, equitable acquisitions for strategies to ensure the Tenderloin, Lower Polk, and Lower Knob Hill neighborhoods have access to open space, especially those that are elderly and disabled. So if they can't get there, we have a park in um, Knob Hill, which is difficult to get to because of the steps, the heels and are disabled, <clears throat> but especially for our many working class families that live in those crowded homes such as SROs. And most of the time, what we see in Knob Hill is basically a cement and pavement, very little grass, and people have to use sidewalks to lean against these apartment buildings to have a place to relax. So I'm asking you to um, the need for more outdoor spaces such as vacant lots so that people can spend time with their families, friends, um, it's about investing in the whole neighborhood, the whole community, about prioritizing equity. But this also helps small businesses in our neighborhoods. Uh, the city should be investing in this neighborhood, which would be at least the amount of open space in the city that has, via the voter-established open space acquisition fund that was last used to purchase the San Francisco Reservoir in District 2 and that we should be having more of them even to come close to that investment, which that has been made in wealthier neighborhoods. Thank you so much. Thank you. What's your dog's name? Fran, and she would love open spaces too. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Richard, are you? Yep, okay. Mm -hmm. Come on up. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Richard Rothman, and I have uh, two items. Uh, one is about the park across the um, City Hall. There's no benches in there, and I've asked staff, and I don't get an answer. And, uh, you know, the mayor wants people to start to coming to City Hall. I come to City Hall, and I'd like to have a place to sit down and have a lunch in, in, the, in the park there, but there's no benches. So I would hope the commissioners would ask the uh, staff to put benches back in the uh, park across the street there. 
And then the second item is a project that Ashley and I and Jane Tobin been working on for a long time and um, the Mother's Building and the ad back money we got from uh, former Supervisor Marr and um, Supervisor Melgar uh, is finally going to be spent. Uh, Rec and Park, uh, Brian uh, Soaks and and ARG came to an agreement on the scope of uh, work and as we're speaking they're starting to uh, to uh, come up with an economic plan and a plan to reuse the building. And my only concern is that I hope the zoo will be part of the uh, study. Uh, so far, um, they have not been uh, commutative. So uh, I hope that uh, they'll be part of the study because this will benefit them. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Is there anyone else in room 416 who wants to speak during general public comment? Okay, if not, we have three hands raised on our line. Please unmute the first speaker. You'll have two minutes. So am I first here? Yes. So this is for item eight. We're, we're, not, um, we're, not, we're not doing comment on item eight right now. We're just doing comment on item number four, which is on items that okay. are not on today's well, I don't know agenda. Why you unmuted me. I, I only want to comment on okay. item eight. Um, you need to. I previously made a comment, which is that. Uh, Can you please mute the, the caller? Uh, SFGov TV, please mute the caller. Okay. I apologize if it was unclear. When the item comes up, when we call item eight, go ahead and press star three at that point. If you press star three now, your hand will be raised and SFGov TV will unmute you in the order in which you raised your hands. So if the next person starts to comment on item eight, I'm gonna have to cut you off again and I apologize because that's not really my style. So please next person be commenting on general public comment. Please unmute the next caller. This is Diana Pang. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, and I'm commenting on an agenda item that I would like to see, um, but is not on the agenda today. I am a community engagement manager, and uh, I work at Chinatown Community Development Center. Every day, I get to build the beloved community with our public housing residents in Chinatown and our affordable housing um, community in the Tenderloin. And I urge, uh, just like previous speakers, for the wonderful commission here, I love our parks and um, rec opportunities, to agendize and calendar and speak about the unanimous Board of Supervisors resolution in um, adopting immediate changes that are equitable to its acquisition strategies to serve these neighborhoods, the TL, Lower Polk, where I'm born and raised, and Lower Knob Hill. Um, I think through those creative and flexible criteria in, in the uh, resolution that we can really be um, creative and 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 innovative around looking at smaller parcels between 2,000 and 5,000 square feet. And similar to the previous um, public comments made um, live, I, I just really um, want to reflect that those are the uh, also the, the sentiment that I hear from our residents that we need new parks. And especially in the TL, the overwhelming sentiment is that Parks in the TL are the only consistently safe, clean, vibrant, family-friendly, and inviting spaces in the neighborhood. 
Um, and then lastly, I want to uh, say this personally, that um, the open space acquisition fund needs to be prioritizing the neighborhoods that lie within those equity zones by the planning department and the housing element and the general plan. And that includes the TL and Lower Knob Hill. Please, no more new parks or open space, and especially not from the open space acquisition fund until one is created in those neighborhoods stated. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello. Hi, go ahead. Hello, I'd like to speak on uh, general comments. At one thing, when you're listing events, could you please events and on new programming, I think it behooves you to list where the funding source is coming for each of your wonderful new things. I also believe that you as a commission need to start looking more globally at all these different wonderful things that you're doing. If you're running out of money and you need to find other funding sources to feed these new projects, perhaps it's time to look at pools, maybe the YMCA. I think the school projects, we have a wonderful beacon program. You're not in the business to tutor, that's the school district. You, there are many things that you're branching out into. I think you need to pull back and remember you're a park, you're open space. That's what you're hearing from public comment. People need grass, they need trees and something basic so they can determine what they want to do. And that's what you're hearing around. I think you're spreading yourself too thin, and I'd like to see funding sources on all these different things. You can't just say, hey, we're bringing music. Hey, these support different youth programs. We want to see where the money is coming from. Thank you. Seeing no further callers, public comment is now closed on item number four. We are now on item number five, the consent calendar. Commissioners, is there anything you'd like to take off consent today? Don't see anything. Thank you. Okay, commissioners, um, I'm gonna do a roll call vote, so if you wanna have a discussion or make a motion, it's time. Do you wanna do oh, public, public comment? comment? Yes, I do. I do wanna do public comment. Is there any public comment on item five, the consent calendar in the room? Okay, seeing none, is there anyone with their hand raised? No hands raised, public comment is closed. Chair will entertain a motion. So moved. Second. Moved and seconded. All, oh, you want to call the roll? I do, yes. Okay. On item five, Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Halsey. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. You're muted, Commissioner. Did we lose him? No, he's here. Aye. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Griffin. Okay. Commissioner Louie? Aye. <clears throat> Commissioner Mazzola? Aye. Okay. Unanimous. And Thank you. We are now on item six, the San Francisco Zoo, with Ingrid from the San Francisco Zoo. Good morning, everyone. I'm Ingrid Russell, Director of Collections from the San Francisco Zoo. And today, the 18th, I'm going to talk about some cool things happening at the zoo. Uh, so May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and this year's theme is Stories of Determination. Um, at the zoo, we're fortunate to house several endangered Asian species that reside there, 
including the snow leopard, greater one-horned rhino, Komodo dragon, and Bornean orangutans. These animals serve as important conservation ambassadors for their species. We're honored to share their unique stories and importantly, their ongoing challenges as these animals in particular are in need of our support and attention. Um, we recently received a new male jaguar and we're thrilled to announce um, that this guy is the first jaguar at the zoo in 24 years. His move here plus a female in the near future are the result of a recommendation by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums Jaguar Species Survival Plan or SSP which is a collaborative effort between zoos to save endangered species. At this time, he is being housed temporarily in the meshed enclosure adjacent to the lion house next to the snow leopard exhibit. He's 11 years old, and while initially shy upon arrival, you can see him out and about now. He's adjusting very well. His arrival made headlines in the examiner, and stay tuned for his naming ceremony in early July. This year will be a big year for the western pond turtle, which is California's only native freshwater aquatic turtle, as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will determine whether or not to list these animals as an endangered species. San Francisco Zoological Society has been working for over 15 years on conservation projects to restore populations of this turtle throughout California. Recently, our Director of Conservation, Jesse Bouchel, was part of a panel at this year's AZA mid-year meetings discussing the evolving roles of the AZA Species Survival Programs, SSPs, and AZA's new SAFE program, Saving Animals from Extinction, which is a broader scope program which includes um, conservation messaging and also uh, the SSP program. Our belonging and human resources teams participated in San Francisco State University's career fair at the end of April, showcasing current job openings, internships, and volunteer opportunities. The zoo booth garnered a lot of attention. With over 250 emails <coughs> of interested students collected that day, we're already receiving emails back for summer opportunities. With their part-time job fair at the end of the summer and employer visits starting in the fall, we're looking forward to expanding our partnership with SFSU for future collaborations. To bring awareness to World Oceans <coughs> Day, San Francisco Zoological Society operations team members have organized a beach cleanup day involving staff and visitors to the zoo. During our Earth Day event, 45 mm -hmm. visitors signed up to participate at our conservation station, and we will be signing up more guests to get involved in the weeks to come. It will be an impactful way to connect the public to the zoo's conservation efforts and build a bond with the local community. The beach cleanup will take place on Thursday, June 8th on Ocean Beach. And that's the report from the zoo. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ingrid. You're welcome. We're now on public comment on item number six. Is there anyone in the room who would like to comment on the San Francisco Zoo report? Okay, seeing none, it looks like we do Com have... Com Commissioner Louie wanted to say something too, but go ahead. Okay, it looks like we do have one caller with their hand raised. I am waiting for... 
SFGovTV is typing to me, so hold on a moment, please. Yes. Okay. This go- is WebEx. Yes, go Hello? right ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, I'd like to respond to the zoo report. One thing, the North Lake at 43rd and Fulton in Golden Gate Park does support a habitat for native turtles. However, during the resurfacing about 10 years ago, they were removed along with the red striped turtles who were not native. Um, the habitat at this point for these turtles and other birds is in serious, serious disrepair and neglect. The parks have not dredged the reeds out for many years, which they used to do biannually. Um, there are trees down from storms two years ago creating rotten and stagnant waterways that used to have a sandy beach on the backside. And once again, I do my, I've done this once a year for 10 years. I've invited Phil Ginsburg to walk with me on around the lake and in that western habitat. This is an area that needs help. It's trees and grass. And in the evening, it's vibrant with people walking from all walks of life. Russian people, people who are visiting here, people from the Richmond District, from the Sunset District. It's a vibrant, well-used lake that's in serious disrepair, turning stagnant, and needs your help, including this turtle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no further public comment, public comment is closed. Commissioner Louie. Thank you, Ingrid, for the presentation. It's something that we always look forward to, what's happening at the zoo. More people should go to the zoo. And since we're uplifting you know, AAPI Heritage Month, I just want to share that uh, my grandfather's nephews, Jack and Quentin Young, were commissioned by President Theodore Roosevelt in 1935 at that time to go to China to bring back the first live panda. Oh. And the live panda was brought back. It lived, it was named Su Ling. It lived in the, um, a zoo in Chicago. And upon its passing, uh, Su Ying was stuffed and still lives and is displayed in the Field Museum in Chicago. So that's the first panda. And that's what we want to do is you know, uplift animals and and pay tribute to, you know, Asians that have uh, contributed to this country. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you for that piece of history. It's very interesting. Okay. Thank you, Ingrid. We are now on item seven, fiscal year 23-24 and fiscal year 24-25 budget update with Antonio. Correct. There's a presentation, TV. if you could put that up. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners. Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance. Happy to be here today to present an update on our budget situation. So I'm going to talk about three specific things. The revised budget deficit that was presented by the city on March 31st of this year. Damage from the winter storms that occurred in January and March, as well as an update on SFPUC charges in general, as well as the new stormwater surcharge. So first, the budget deficit. So the projected fiscal year 2024 shortfall has has been forecasted to grow by to $290 million, which is 90 million higher than what was presented in January. 
So up over the next two years, the city now projects a 779.8 million shortfall, or roughly 51.5 million more than the deficit of 728.3 million projected in January. And structural shortfalls in the later years of the projection are also rising. So one of the things I talked about in January and February when I came to the commission was we receive $3 million annually of additional general fund unless the deficit is higher than a certain threshold. That threshold is roughly $260 million. And unfortunately, for the first time in well over a decade, the deficit grew in March. Same thing just happened with the state of California. It's somewhat rare, but it went up to 290, as I mentioned. So we will not be receiving an additional $3 million. So despite this, we're still responsible for some of cost drivers that have a uh, challenging effect on our budget. The first is recent MOUs stated that pay raises would be delayed by six months if the deficit was over $300 million. And since it was under 290, full pay raises are going through on, Jan on July 1st of the next fiscal year. Additionally, uh, the retirement system had a challenging uh, previous fiscal year. So that's an additional $800,000 that we are responsible for uh, to cover within our budget. Um, in total, next year salary and fringe costs will increase by $7.5 million. So we were directed to rebalance our budget by the mayor's office. And in many cases, they point to us and say, you will cut this. So in the first year of the budget, in fiscal year 2024, we're gonna be using um, previous year balances. We have 500,000 of uh, funding from the Park Stop program that has been unused over the past few years. Additionally, $250,000 that was provided in an ad back for uh, potential maintenance in Knob Hill, as well as $150,000 for uh, maintenance at Francisco Park. Um, we have balances from completed projects at South Sunset, Civic Center Playground, and also really just small change from additional remaining balances from completed projects within the general fund of $74,000. Additionally, there are addbacks within the fiscal year 2024 budget itself that were cut. This includes uh, once again, funding for potential maintenance in Knob Hill, as well as money for a Heron's Watch program. Uh, finally, we also loaded a reduction of $3 million to the acquisition fund of previous year balances. We will still be allocating money into the acquisition fund. This is really just previous year balances to offset the $3 million of general fund support that we will not be receiving in the next fiscal year. Those are all one-time measures. In fiscal year 25, since this is a rolling, this is a not a fixed two-year budget, but it's a rolling two-year budget, we still need to have additional rebalancing. And so there were two specific items that we did. The first is we loaded potential revenue from uh, concerts at the Polo Field, the second weekend of concerts uh, in August. This is agenda item number eight, the following item on this um, agenda. We loaded $1.5 million, which consists of an assumption of two weekends of concerts, which is $700,000 a day, plus a little bit above the minimum annual guarantee of $100,000. So that's how we get to 1.5. We're also assuming, based off of the city controller's projection, 
uh, roughly additional million dollars of open space uh, fund. Um, property tax is still hanging in there uh, when it looks at the long-term projections according to the city controller's office. So that's how we rebalanced um, as part of the June 1st mayor's submitted budget, or about to be submitted, I should say. Second thing I'd like to talk to you about that has a direct effect on our budget is the damage from the winter storms that just took place. So we have been in direct contact with FEMA to discuss reimbursement for the work that we've either done immediately after the storms took place or that we are about to do to, um, to uh, just get back to the state of good repair at some of these sites. And we have four specific main projects that we've talked to FEMA about. We've also discussed some other projects as well, but these are the main four that we've talked with FEMA and the city's Department of Emergency Management. And the first is at the Marina Yacht Harbor. And you can see I've added some photos here into the presentation just for the visuals. Uh, the marina sustained damage to fuel dock pilings, the jetty and gangway hedge system. And additionally, the storm brought large amounts of sand into the west entrance channel and we also saw failures to the north side of jet, the jetty seawall, asphalt damage in the jetty parking lots, and sinkholes throughout the West Marina perimeter areas. And as an aside, I was told by our harbor master, Scott Grindy, that FEMA already toured the site and they were sufficiently, um, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but they definitely thought that this would, could be reimbursed uh, through federal funding. Um, so that is a, something that we will be working on over the next year. Additionally, we've had damage at other sites in the system. Corona Heights, roughly $300,000 worth of potential reimbursement. Uh, we've had mud and rock slides in three separate areas, damaging paths, fences, and hillside. And a couple of pictures there to show some of the damage. Trocadero Clubhouse was in the news. Uh, this is just a rough estimate of $2.5 million. Um, a large tree fell through the clubhouse, really damaging the roof, but on particularly all levels of the structure. And just in general, Stern Grove, uh, estimated cost of $3.5 million. Dozens of trees have fallen, are falling, or have lost branches and or are endangering paths of travel. And uh, one of the challenges that we have with this reimbursement process is that FEMA is very strict on what we can get reimbursed for, and especially the categories. So in the case of Stern Grove, we literally have to mark through GPS where the tree fell, and we have to state whether or not it was hauled off site or if it was kept on site, because there's two separate categories of reimbursement. Um, we also have to track all labor overtime expenses related to all of this work at all of the sites. So there is a significant administrative burden. We're going to submit an initial estimate by July, and we hope to get the work done all within the next year. Finally, I wanted to talk about this SFPUC rates in general, and in particular, the new SFPUC stormwater surcharge. So the PUC is proposing to create a new surcharge for stormwater runoff by splitting an existing part of its customer bills that currently combines wastewater and stormwater costs. And as I mentioned the last time I talked about this, San Francisco is one of the only cities uh, in California that has a combined uh, sewer system that treats both wastewater and stormwater. So the new proposed stormwater surcharge would drastically increase utility costs for for the rec park department and 
just in general to provide context, since 2010, the rates that the SFPUC have charged um, just on a compound annual growth have been very significant. And the point of this, this, uh, this data right here, 10.39% a year for SFPUC water, 6.60% a year for SFPUC wastewater, while the national CPI has been at about 2.48%. So that's the average annual growth. It's something that has been a challenge for our budget for quite some time. This slide right here is a projection provided to the department by the SFPUC that shows both water and wastewater costs. The first bar is essentially the current rates in fiscal year 2023. That is, if you combine both, it is roughly $8 million of costs at the department. And the, it, the bar is a stacked bar. The bottom bar is the water cost. And the top bar is for the wastewater program, which in the following bar gets split into two charges. The wastewater usage uh, based on volume charge, as well as this new stormwater surcharge. And then in fiscal year 2030, upon the full seven-year phase-in of the proposed wastewater charge, the department will be paying $5 million for this new stormwater surcharge, assuming that we've received credits for um, uh, diverting stormwater runoff, as well as $2.7 million for the original wastewater charge based off of volume, plus $9 million for water. So in total, if you just look at the water and wastewater portion of the SFPUC utility charge, we're going from 8 million in the current fiscal year to up to 16.8 million in fiscal year 2030. And that is a very, very strong headwind for the department. Since we are a baseline department, we do not receive additional general fund for this. This has to come out of the um, allocation that is built into the code for uh, supporting our operations. I did want to go over, in addition, not to kind of belabor this point, but we've talked a little bit about the, the annual increases uh, related to water and wastewater. We have had major SFPUC cost of service changes to our budget just outside of the annual rate increases. And going back 20 years, starting in fiscal year 2002, uh, there was a bond presented to the voters, which was the Water System Improvement Project, which were revenue bonds and gave the SFPUC exclusive control of water, clean water, and power assets owned or maintained by the city. So that included water in Golden Gate Park. Water in Golden Gate Park had its own well system, and the ownership rights of that water was transferred to the SFPUC. Fiscal year 2009, Rec Park, which previously had never paid for water, which is it's almost amazing to look back on now as I look at the, <laughs> the previous data, but we were charged for water for the first time in fiscal year 2009. Uh, in fiscal year 2015, we used to have what's known as a irrigation, interruptible irrigation rate. We would pay for water, but not necessarily the storage of the water through uh, reservoirs and the transfer of the water. Um, that cost went up by 62%, so that ch calculation changed. Uh, fiscal year 2016, Prop B, we, we became a baseline department with a set amount of funding. No longer at the beginning of the year would we receive additional money from the mayor's office to pay for this, and then we would get 
uh, asked for a general fund reduction target. This was now just you get a set amount of general fund, and you, ha you have increased power over your budget, but you also have increased responsibility. So in fiscal year 2019, we had an elimination of the interruptible rate for irrigation. That was a 20% increase. We now just pay a one standard uh, non-residential customer rate. In fiscal year 2023, this is the first year of this, there was a phased elimination of a municipal power rate, which is in total 181% increase. And just looking from the current budget to full phase in uh, in a few years, that's a hundred and that's a $3.7 million increase. And then we've previously talked about this proposed stormwater surcharge uh, that is yet to be voted on, but has been proposed to the SFPUC commission this month, which would result in a $5 million increase to the Rec and Park Department. And finally, this is the actual visual once we talk about all of these charges in effect here. So this is a history a visual history of utility charges from the SFPUC. This does not include zoo charges, which used to be in the rec park budget, nor charges for power at Candlestick Park, which would obviously inflate what we're looking at here. But that yellow bottom line is power. We've, we've always paid for power. We had a very affordable power rate from the Hetch Hetchy power system. We are now moving to full cost of service. Um, the gray bottom portion is wastewater. The red triangle that starts, uh, is proposed to start this year is the $5 million stormwater surcharge, and the ever-increasing blue line is the water uh, portion that is projected out into 2030. All this is roughly about $24 million when we get out to that uh, time frame. So we were asked by the SFPUC, we've been talking to our colleagues uh, at that department about well, what does this really mean over the next few years? How does this affect you? And if you just calculate just the elimination, the slow elimination of the, the subsidized municipal power rate as well as the stormwater surcharge, it's a million next year followed by two million in fiscal year 25 on a cumulative basis. So we have been collaborating with our colleagues at the SFPUC on some potential ideas to uh, mitigate this burden. And so some of these are fully reimbursing RPD for maining Lake, Mer uh, Lake Merced. I'm, I'm happy to report we've already loaded an additional $200,000 of revenue from the SFPUC in our budget. So that's good news. We've talked to them about potential green infrastructure grants at Crocker, Amazon, and Kizar for our general obligation bond program. We've talked about potential work at Camp Mather, as well as PUC assistance in managing recycled water at Golden Gate Park. And finally, we have been discussing the Prop B baseline implications with city leadership. Um, this is where, while I play an amateur attorney sometimes, I'm not one. Uh, part of the baseline stated that in fiscal year 1516, if Rec Park wasn't paying for a service and we did not agree to that service, the department was entitled to additional funds. Now, um, if you ask me, someone who's not a lawyer, we used to pay for a wastewater charge based on volume in fiscal year 1516. Now we're having a second charge related to a uh, surcharge for stormwater based on a property fee as opposed to the amount of water that we're using. To me, that feels like a new charge, but I think the, the analysis that has been provided to us is that it's still the same service because it's a, according to the SFPU, it's a PUC, they've always been providing uh, stormwater services to the department. They just haven't charged <coughs> it 
through this uh, volumetric, hmm. uh, this new surcharge. So, um, but as I helpfully pointed out on, on the right of this slide, you can see in fiscal year 2024, this is a new charge that is hitting our budget. Um, so what we're re requesting from the Rec Park Commission, uh, I think specifically there's a resolution that I believe the commission secretary has uh, sent to the commissioners. Um, it's directing staff to negotiate with the SFPC on potential solutions to offset current year and projected year utility rate increases and seek all legally appropriate reimbursements of Rec Park expenses on SFPC property. Um, and uh, I think that is the end of my presentation. Antonio, can you just um, highlight, uh, you talked about the additional cost of water, but um, uh, for a variety of reasons and because of the great work of our staff uh, and because of other mandates, we've also been using less water. I don't, maybe you covered that, but can you I did not cover that, and thank you for you pointing that out, uh, General Manager Ginsburg. Uh, we have reduced potable water usage since 2017 by 32%. So we've um, reduced the amount we're using by 32%. In total, it's a little over 20% because we shifted to recycled water at selected sites. Um, but despite all of that, if you look at our historical actuals, our costs are still going up because going back to, if I could have a visual again here on the presentation, the annual water rate has gone up 10.39% uh, a year for water costs. And um, a lot of that's due to construction. The, the water system improvement project uh, did a lot of seismic work. Um, it, it takes a lot of capital dollars to ensure that water flows from Hetch Hetchy to this city. So there's a lot of debt service. Um, that said, 10.39% uh, a year for water, 6.6% per year for wastewater, and that's just looking back at previous rate increases. It's far larger than inflation, and it's something that we've had to deal with as a department. So even though we've, as mentioned by the general manager, reduced potable water usage by 32%, our costs are still rising. And we didn't used to pay for water. I have a question about, if I heard you correctly, sometime in the past we transferred the water rights in Golden Gate Park from us to PUC? That's correct. And then, and now they're charging us for the water we gave them? Uh, that is correct. Um, I don't know if you have something to yeah, add. Yeah, there, there was a bond measure in 2002 uh, that created the uh, uh, the wastewater improvement program, the WESIP as it was called. And there was, this is long before our, our, our team's time, right. but there was language, it was a one line, one, one line language, one, one line in the charter amendment that I don't think very many people were paying attention to that said uh, all subsurface water shall belong to the PUC. I guess it just seems strange if we're giving them our water that we didn't negotiate that we wouldn't have to pay to get it back, uh, but that's in the past uh, <laughs> at any rate. Uh, Commissioner Anderson, did you want to weigh in on this? I did, but I would like to wait okay. until all other Let's, commissioners have spoken. All right. Do you want Let's to go to public, public comment? comment then. Okay. Thank you, Antonio. I don't have any blue cards for item 7, but is there anyone in room 416 who'd like to comment on item 7? Come on up. 
Thank you. I didn't want to jump in front. Um, hey, my name is Vince Courtney. I'm with the Northern California District Council of Laborers. We're here um, on a couple of other items, but I felt compelled to comment um, on this particular item. Uh, we, we think the PUC does great work. Um, Commissioner Mazzola and I, Ramon Hernandez, who's with me, know that the jobs that are created with the infrastructure for the private uh, industry, whether it's the UA, Local 38, the laborers, the electricians, I mean, the, the, the volume of work in our private sector, which is really our bread and butter, is more than just significant at the Public Utilities Commission. But um, on behalf of the staff, thank you, General Manager Ginsburg, for mentioning all the uh, measures that have been taken by our staff thoughtfully and deliberately to kind of conserve and, and save. On behalf of our staff, our concern really is how significant um, this, this proposal really is. Um, and my hope is that not only um, leadership in this room, but leadership across the hall there at the Board of Supervisors will um, ask the important questions that need to be asked. I was told uh, about, I don't know, three or four years ago by one of the one of the smarter but meaner supervisors that as long as I as long as I flush, you know, flush the toilet and it goes down, I don't ask questions about the PUC. <coughs> well, I think we have to start asking some questions uh, over at the PUC. Um, as we're being confronted with a con contracting economy, and I can just commit that on behalf of uh, Ramon Hernandez and our union, um, we're going to be all in uh, with you guys to make sure that we get the answers to those important questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else in the room on item seven? Did you want to? Okay. Um, we will move over to the WebEx. We have one person with their hand raised. If you could unmute that caller. Hello. Um, thank you for that presentation. I do understand how difficult it is for staff to prepare for a set meeting. And I want to say a few things. One, um, the overview you gave from the mayor's budget instruction and then her subsequent request for a decrease in everyone's budget does not take into consideration yesterday's announcement by the mayor that the city attorney has secured a $230 million settlement agreement regarding the opiate uh, problem. And she even says in her own press release that she'll incorporate plans for use of this funding in the upcoming budget, but amazingly, after you've submitted your budget to them, and she'll do that at the end of the month. So that is something to consider. I also find it incredibly upsetting that your budget is based and includes in your budget presentation item, items in number eight, where you're already asking the commissioners to push forward a vote today I'm sorry. on item seven on a budget okay. that includes item eight, so you have public comment on something after the fact, which is absolutely wrong. Okay. All right, thank you. Seeing no other callers, public comment is closed. Commissioners, um, I did send you a copy of the resolution. It's in your email, so please take a look at it. And if you'd like to make a motion on something related to that, I'll need you to put it, state it on the record for me. Before we do that, can I say something? Yeah. Yes, Commissioner. When we first heard our budget, we directed staff to come back to us with information on these new charges. Given that the charges have not yet been approved by the PUC, I would like to, through the executive director, 
direct staff to continue to work with the PUC staff to increase PUC support of park and rec stewardship of PUC lands. This is a step in the right direction. However, it will not get to us to, it will not get us to net neutral for our budget given the scale of these increases. Um, so through the general manager, I'd like to maybe have him direct staff to look at that. Thank you, Commissioner. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to make a motion that we adopt the uh, budget report of the uh, resolution that does not have a number yet. Um, regarding regarding this issue, or regarding the budget. <clears throat> I'm sorry, you have to excuse my voice today. So you're making a motion to approve the resolution that Ashley sent. Okay. Did, did you want him to read the resolved clauses? I or? think we need to re read the resolved clauses. Okay, the resolved clause is that the San Francisco Rec and Park Commission hereby directs staff to negotiate with the SFPUC on potential solutions to offset current year and projected utility rate increases and seek all legal appropriate reimbursement of department expenses on SFPUC property. Thank you. Before we have a second to that, I'm going to ask Commissioner Anderson to weigh in. Thank you, President Buell. Um, we have been grappling with what's coming down the pike as proposed by the San Francisco PUC for a while, as you know. Um, what I'm about to say is not only for the people in this room, but for the 900,000 other people that aren't in this room. Citizens of San Francisco, residents of San Francisco, it's time to wake up. It's time to pay attention to this. I know that sometimes we get fed up with what's going on in the political realm, but this is something that hits your pocketbooks. You know, most of the time, when a small sales tax rate increase comes on, it gets voted down. A quarter of a cent gets voted down. Antonio, please correct me if any of my data is wrong. I believe we're looking at a 9% year-over-year rate increase on water for the next five years. Is that right? I, I think... We're in that ballpark. Yes, it's a little bit lower for water. It's a little bit, if, if you combine for both water and wastewater. Okay. It's time for us to wake up. 9% year, year over year. It's more than our sales tax. It's more than what we're allowed to uh, institute as a rent increase if we have rental properties. It's more than what the city is allowed to increase our property tax by. It's more than the guarantee on your retirement investments if you work for the city. It's more than everything that we are usually confronted with. At a time when people are leaving the city, we have 40,000 vacant units of housing in the city. Did you know that? 40,000. 
5,000 vacant units in the city. We are hurting. Our bonds, our park bonds, are usually approved by more than 73% of the electorate. This department is beloved for what it offers to our residents. If we have to pay for using water responsibly and for water that goes down a drain that's basically happening because of climate change, sea level rise, unusual weather events, and king tides, now known as royal tides, because we're very egalitarian here. (laughs) This is something that the entire city is confronting. It's not a rec and park department problem. It is a citywide problem. And yet, a member of the city family wants to charge all departments extra, which will then go into its coffers, You know, to me, this is like lining the PUC coffers while decorating the coffin linings of the rest of the departments. We have to come up with an extra $3 million next year? Do you want to, how many gardeners do you want to cut? You want to cut Phil's salary? We don't get paid. Why don't you cut our $100 stipend? I'll give it up. And I love what the PUC does. It's necessary, believe me. I love the beautiful building. Did you know they built this beautiful building in 2012? (laughs) I think it cost $220 million. A feature of the PUC building is this beautiful shimmer thing, this work of art here. Did the Arts Commission pay for this work of art that's hanging on the side of the new PUC building? Do we we know if the Art Commission paid for this? It's a beautiful shimmer. Look at it. It's like a facet of the building. I'm just wondering, like, when the PUC collects all this extra money from all the departments and it starts building infrastructure, you know, let's not put special art on the side of whatever it is they're going to do. You know, so maybe they can cut that 9% increase down to, like, 1.1%, like what we get to do if we own property. And I'm not trying to be snarky. I know I sound snarky, but it's just because I'm so upset by the idea that someone in the city family basically is saying, hey, honey, thanks for all you do around the house. Send me a bill. I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to take one money out of one pocket and put it in the other pocket. And when this pocket gets real big, I'm going to go buy the family a nice car or something. It's like that. It's a shell game. So they shouldn't be overreaching in what they take from us. It should be fair. And it should come out of the general fund. But, you know, I'm no expert on this. Could it come out of the general fund instead of a rec and park budget, Antonio? Well, I made that case. Uh, (laughs) um, Those are the discussions that we've had regarding Prop B and the implementation, as I mentioned, that we should potentially receive additional general fund for specifically the stormwater surcharge. And that's not an argument that I've made in the past when it's come to uh, annual rate increases or the interruptible rate going uh, increasing or going away. But in the case of a new charge that is built around a different calculation that isn't based off the, the water used on the site, but the actual property and split between impermeable and permeable, and this being completely new, um, 
I, I think it's fair to say that potentially this department, it's more than fair, that this is something that we've never paid for, it's a dramatic increase, and um, as a baseline department, it definitely challenges us. The one thing I do want to point out, I neglected to say we're not, we're not proposing any service eliminations, we're not proposing any layoffs, we're going to be able no, we're to not. handle this. No, but I, by 2030, I, th I think this is a serious headwind. Yeah. What is that new phrase that's going around right now, doom cycle? Is that that new phrase? Yeah. I, I didn't mean to start that. Like, we love our services, our service providers, our staff. We're going to do everything we can. Um, so, again, because I think we really need to be paying attention to this. Antonio, I didn't mean to make you stand up. You can <laughs> sit down. So, the SFPUC is proposing a new stormwater surcharge. Again, and it's my opinion, this is due to climate change extraordinary weather events and king tides. How do I know this? Because I just finished the climate steward certification course with the University of California and did my presentation on sea level rise. So this is not just a wreck and park problem. Based on square footage of property, of course, we have the biggest assets, the most assets in the city. So it impacts us the greatest, but I'm sure DPW will suffer as well. And we're talking about permeable versus impermeable water or property. And increase in water rates at a time when we can ill afford it. On the heels of a significant increase in cost of power. And by the way, Hetch Hetchy, when it was built, government buildings were promised to get their hydroelectric power for free. So I don't even understand how it is now we're being charged for this. I thought it was like federal law. Again, I could be wrong about this. Somebody correct me. How is it that we're now being charged for hydroelectric power to our government buildings? Antonio, do you? So the logic behind that is California Prop 218. The idea legally that we have been told is that as a utility, they're not allowed to discriminate between customers. This is no longer a government organization. We are a customer of the SFPUC. So legally, we have to pay full cost of service, same as all the other customers. Well, I tell you what, if I were the city attorney, I would challenge that, David, too. The new charges would increase annually from 500000 in 2024 to a projected $5 million by 2030. That is a significant amount of money for us, really. Combined with the continued phasing out of the PUC's less expensive municipal power rate and other expected annual increases, this new surcharge would contribute to more than doubling our rec park total utility costs of power, water, and wastewater over the next seven years from $11 million in 2023 to a projected $24 million in 2030. Our total waste and wastewater bill over the next seven years would more than double, as Antonio said, from $8 million to over $16 million by 2030. This is not only death by a thousand cuts, this is death by millions of cuts. I'm baffled as to what investment in infrastructure that the SFPUC needs to make when it's going to garner over $70 million in utility increases by 2028. This is more than the budget of many city, smaller city departments, the entire city. 
And I'd kind of like to know what they're planning to do with that money. Do we need another fancy building with some art hanging off of it? Um, Build their own central shops. Oh, why can't we share? We're all in the same family. It feels like a divorce with no actual divorce papers. It's outrageous to me that we have to scrape together pennies and consider doing stuff that some people find offensive to make things work because we're paying for the fact that God sent extra storm water to us and, we, and it goes down a drain. We have to pay that? Pay for that. Wow. So I'm hopeful that the staff will see my attitude here. Our very diplomatic and wonderful staff who bite their tongues until they bleed, don't bite your tongues anymore. Raise your hands if you've been in a park. Raise your hands if you've been in a San Francisco park. Raise your hands if you love the times you've spent in a San Francisco park. How many of you have been inside the PUC building? <laughs> Only staff. Okay, yeah. I haven't even been in there. Raise your hand if you think we should add uh, that Vice President Kat Anderson be sent to negotiate uh, for the department with the PUC. Just raise your hand. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Order in the court. I'm, I'm kind of loaded for bear. But it's only because, Dennis Herrera, I love our city so much, my brother. Dennis Herrera, I love my city so much. We cannot do this now. This is the wrong headed, wrong timing. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, there is a motion by uh, Commissioner Griffin. Uh, do we have a second? I'll second that. Moved and seconded. Would the secretary please call the roll? Yes. Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? Aye. Commissioner Halsey? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? Can I speak on the question before I vote? Please do. Okay. Um, I'm going to vote yes, but I just want to preface that by saying I think you're 100% right, Kat, in everything you said. And I hope that uh, I hope that the negotiations do happen because they need to happen. And uh, include. include. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's uh, it's almost it's we don't have a choice at this point. If we if we don't approve the budget, then what happens? Yep. So we're in a position where we're screwed. I disagree with it, too. I think, you know, if we were an enterprise department, I get it. We could figure it out. But we're not. So the mayor's office should step in and say, hey, you're going to kill this department by 2030. I agree. So something needs to be done. But for right now, today, I think we have to approve this and let the negotiations start. So I'll say yes, aye. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay. That is unanimous. So, so ruled. Okay, thank you, everybody. We are now on item eight, Golden Gate Park, Polo Fields Concerts. I do have a number of blue... Before we move to that, yes. Ashley, can uh -huh. I just make a suggestion? Sure. Mazzola should do the bargaining. Uh, nope. Okay. I do have a number of blue cards for item eight. You're welcome to fill out a blue card. They're over on the table there. If you fill one out, you can please put it on this table next to me. 
Um, you don't have to fill out a blue card. So once I'm through the blue cards, I'll check and see if there's anyone else in the room. And then we'll move over to folks on the WebEx. If you are here to comment on item eight, you may now press star three to raise your hand on item eight. And after we go through the presentation and the public comment in the room, we'll get to those on our WebEx. Hello. Hello. Hello, commissioners. My yep. name is George Ridgely. I'm the manager of permits and reservations for the department. I'm here today to present a discussion and possible action to one, recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve a permit substantially similar to the term sheet dated May 18th, 2023 for another Planet Entertainment to hold a ticketed concert at Golden Gate Park Polo Fields on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday following the Outside Lands concert in 2024, 2025, and 2026. And I'd like to point out that uh, that is a correction to what was printed in the agenda for today. It actually starts in year 2024, not 2023. Um, and to close portions of John F. Kennedy Boulevard on each day, in exchange for a minimum fee of 1,400,000 per year for a two-day event or 2,100,000 for a three-day event. And secondly, finding that the permit and the fee and granting of the permit is appropriate given the terms and conditions of the permit. Approval of this proposal of this proposed action by the commission is the approval action as defined by the San Francisco Administrative Code, Chapter 31. So to, to give you a little background, um, as you heard from the last presentation, uh, the department is facing significant budget constraints. Um, both a reduction of our general fund support as well as increased labor and healthcare cost. Um, we have looked for opportunities to increase our revenue um, and cover shortfalls and to avoid cutting programs and services. The proposal we are presenting will support our budget with additional revenues and bring overall economic benefit to the city. And thanks for bearing with me as I get used to reading the screen and, and uh, using the microphone. Uh -huh. um, possible, uh, so some more background. Historically, the department has held a number of concerts in the western end of Golden Gate Park and believes that offering limited uh, concerts in the polo fields could provide revenues to support the budget. How to provide a concert in the polo fields that will not significantly impact park play um, for uh, youth soccer, as well as limit the amount of setup and teardown time um, that is needed um, and impacting other park users while that is happening. Uh, the way it is now, currently Outside Lands is a three-day music festival um, in uh, Golden Gate Park. It is held between June and August 31st of each year, typically in, uh, in early to mid-August. Um, they currently have an agreement to uh, produce this festival through 2031 and um, over the last five years have generated more than $18 million in revenue for the department. 
Each Outside Lands Festival begins its load-in approximately two weeks before the festival. Um, and then uh, it is completed, the loadout is completed by the Friday after the event, with the polo fields being the last um, facility that is loaded out. Um, looking at this um, with uh, adding the new concert, the concerts only in the polo fields, uh, we would be looking at the loadout being completed the following Wednesday after the second weekend of concerts, which effectively means we would be adding five extra days to the existing schedule for those concerts to load out. Um, other areas in the park would experience its typical loadout time. So the other uh, meadows that are used for outside lands would be loaded out with the current schedule. Um, and with the exception of a small area of Lindley Meadow, which would be used for the um, entryway and bag checks for the concert only series. This, uh, these polo field concerts would be held either two or three days on the weekend after outside lands. So this would be either Friday, Saturday and or Sunday. Um, the weekend following uh, with times from 2 to 10 p.m. on each day. Um, and the proposed concert permit that we are uh, putting before you would run for three years starting in 2024. The concerts would feature a single headliner with supporting acts. Um, they would provide food and beverage for those who are coming to the event. Um, and there would be no other activations. Uh, there would be a single main stage on the western end of the polo fields. And this is compared to the Outside Lands Festival, which actually has seven stages throughout the festival. And attendance would be capped at 65,000 per day. To compare that to Outside Lands, the cap on, on daily attendance at Outside Lands is 75,000. Road closures for this uh, concert in the polo fields would include um, JFK Drive from Transverse to Chain of Lakes. That would start on the Thursday prior to the, to the concert, the second weekend. That would start on Thursday at 6 p.m. and run through Monday at 6 a.m. after the concerts. Chain of Lakes would remain open for the duration through the park. As I mentioned before, installations, there would be a main stage set up on the western end of the polo fields. This would actually just be using the main stage or one of the stages uh, that is already in place for the Outside Lands Festival. It's possible that there would be a small additional stage on the eastern end of the polo fields. This would be for possible programming um, if there were to be a set change on the main stage. Uh, there would be food and beverage booths set up in the polo fields, fencing around the entire area for public safety. Uh, there would be a VIP and ADA viewing platforms, uh, similar to, to what are in place for the festival, video monitoring screens, portable restrooms, uh, and then, as I mentioned, the entry would be through Lindley Meadow. Uh, this map shows uh, an overview of what would be set up, uh, what would be in use with the polo fields and then the entry area at Lendley Meadow for coming into the, to the concert. Uh, 
This polo field detail shows you the main stage on the western end, as well as the location of the ADA and VIP area uh, north of the polo field. Um, what you see towards the eastern end of the polo fields would be picnic tables. And then at the very um, edge of the eastern end is that possible secondary stage. Other permit terms um, uh, related to this, uh, the transportation plan would be the same as it is for outside lands. Um, and as I mentioned, we would expect 10,000 fewer people per day. We would encourage people to take public transportation. Uh, shuttle buses would be provided, as well as the muni lines that service Golden Gate Park. Uh, the event also would provide bike valet for people bicycling to the event. There would be designated um, rideshare uh, uh, locations for both pickup and drop-off. And there would be enhanced enforcement and parking control officers and SFPD in the surrounding neighborhoods. Sound mitigation would be, again, very similar to um, outside lands itself. Uh, the difference being there is one main stage for this concert over two to three days versus the seven stages at the Outside Lands Festival. Um, there would be the same sound and monitoring <coughs> hotlines um, that are put into place. And there would be a similar sound system developed to reduce noise spread in the surrounding neighborhoods. <coughs> The decision by this department, um, we recognize that this was a unique opportunity for us to benefit both our department and the city and to use infrastructure that was already in place from the festival. Uh, with, like I said, it would be using existing infrastructure with a reduced footprint. Impact on the park and park users and residents would be significantly less as there would only be one load in and load out for the two weekends of events. It's one of the few times of the year that we can actually do this with minimal impact on San Francisco youth who play soccer on the field. The event organizer has extensive experience with how to mitigate noise impacts and other impacts on the park and neighborhood. And the event is possible only because all of these factors come together, which are unique to having an existing event producer manage the event. As a result, competitive solicitation to find an alternate event producer would be impractical, if not impossible. The benefits to the department, as I mentioned, would be minimum fees of 1.4 million for a two-day event and an additional 700,000 if there were to be a three-day event. The event organizer will pay the department the higher of the minimum fee or 5% of the net revenue from the ticket sales for the event. And these fees will increase annually with the consumer price increases. Uh, any extra staff expenses will be reimbursed by the event producer. In terms of the benefit to the city, uh, outside land has a tremendous economic impact on the city. We would expect the same from this concert series, including uh, increased jobs, hotel nights in the city, 
local business and food vendor um, increase in revenue, as well as tax revenues from food, beverage, and ticket sales. The next steps for this proposed permit would be for the commission to approve, uh, which would then move to the Board of Supervisors in uh, later this summer, uh, and um, review and approval of our department budget will also happen in June or July with the Board of Supervisors. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, George. Um, I'm going to start reading the blue cards. I'll read three at a time. So if I read your name. Kate, uh, or excuse me, Ashley, just for one second. Yep. We, we do have the Director of Workforce and Economic Development here, Kate Sofa. So I'm going to ask if she oh, can yes. come up and speak first. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I really wanted to come today and just express um, our strong support of your consideration of this item. Um, it, part of our charter as the Office of Economic and Workforce Development is to help co-create along with our mayor and all of you an economic future for this city that really moves us forward. I think it probably takes uh, not, not long to see the negative press and sort of this drumbeat folks have had about the city being in a doom loop and our uh, office vacancies, our street conditions. But what I'm here to say is our parks, our arts, our culture are a gleaming light of hope for the economic future of this city. Uh, when we look at the mayor's economic roadmap for our greater downtown, a, a very large part of that is predicated on lifting up arts, entertainment, culture, our whole creative economy as a lead in how we move the city forward. When I heard about this idea, it resonated with us on so many levels. The first is it's a very smart reuse of infrastructure you've already set up. So it's a way to, um, as the presentation really outlined, drive more revenue into Rec and Park while we're in this fiscal uh, challenging situation. But I also see it as this wonderful opportunity to create really a citywide set of arts and culture activations for the whole week. So what our thinking would be is while you will bookend this with the, the two weekends of, of music in the park, we will in turn be able to organize other activations and arts and culture throughout the week between and really lift this up as a citywide festival of music, art, and entertainment. So it's exactly what we need in this moment in time, and I really appreciate your consideration. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'll read uh, three names at a time. If I read your name, please go ahead and, and you know, prepare yourself to comment. We have quite a number of speakers today, so please do keep an eye on the time um, on the desk in front of you. I'll start with Andrew, and then Joshua Boyne, and then Marie Shire. It's either Shire or Shine. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners, uh, General Manager Ginsburg. Great to see you again, as always. My name is Andrew Bennett. I'm the new president of IATSE Local 16, San Francisco's stagehand union. We work throughout the city on theater, film, concerts, and entertainment. Quick shout out to our friends at, uh, who are technicians at SFGovTV, 
They are our members and are facilitating this meeting today, so I really appreciate them being here. Additionally, I am a city resident and the parent of two fifth-generation San Franciscans in public school who depend on Rec and Park programs for support in becoming healthy and productive adult city residents by way of excellent after-school and summer offerings like Shred and Butter, Camp Mather, and so much more. These programs have helped make them the San Franciscans that I am especially proud of. I am here speaking in support of permit approval for additional concerts in Golden Gate Park. Outside Lands has been very successful for the city, generating many millions of dollars for San Francisco Rec and Parks budget, over a million dollars in wages each year for our members alone, not including all of the other people that work on that event. Um, and as per the city's own economic impact studies on entertainment, for every dollar spent on tickets, $6 of economic activity is generated within the city as a direct result. Based on these facts and track record of successes with our local promoter, Another Planet Entertainment, Local 16 strongly supports approval of the rec and park permits for these additional concerts as they create great union jobs with justice for San Franciscans, support nearby businesses, and generate desperately needed revenue streams that make, help make it possible for Rec and Park to fulfill its mission in providing vital services to San Franciscans of all ages and backgrounds. Approving these concerts is a win for all San Franciscans, most of all those who depend on Rec and Park. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Joshua? Hello. Good morning, Commissioners. Good morning. Um, I am also a member of IOTC Local 16. I have lived in the Sunset District for over 20 years. I call Golden Gate Park my greatest backyard. Uh, I grew up at the Children's Playground. Um, I walk around Strawberry Hill practically daily. It is the single feature of this city that I am like the most honored to be able to use every single day. I refuse to live more than two blocks away from it. <laughs> uh, that said, I've, I've built this concert that we're talking about for the last 15 years. I've done every single one of those shows. I know its impact on the park, but I also know how much benefit it causes every single department and every resource that we're able to utilize for it. Um, do it for the water bill. <laughs> Holy smokes. I can't believe I just sat through that. This is just the, just, just keep the lights on. Um, sorry, I yield my time. Thank you. Thank you. Marie. And then I'm going to have um, Stephanie, Linder, Jillian, and Sarah. Good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you for having us. My name is Marie Shine. I'm an assistant business um, agent with Local 16. And um, so uh, not only are music festivals like Outside Lands the epitome of the spirit and culture of San Francisco, but they are economic drivers for our city's businesses, sources of jobs for our workers, which helps them to feed and shelter their families and revenue for our parks. Because of this, Local 16 fully supports the approval of the permits um, for additional concerts. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Next speaker. Good morning, commissioners. I'm Stephanie Linder. I run the nonprofit partner at the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. I also am a longtime Sunset, resi Sunset District resident. I live uh, just le a little less than three blocks from the park. Um, I am here today representing the nonprofit partner um, to the Rec and Park Department for the uh, Conservatory Flowers Japanese Tea Garden and the San Francisco Botanical Garden, all located in Golden Gate Park. Um, and we are in support of this permit for additional music in the park. Music in Golden Gate Park is part of its long, rich history. And I just want to say a few words, though, in addition to the important resources that come to the department through this and to the local economy, I just want to say that another Planet Entertainment is a great community partner. They help support the free flower piano festival in the gardens. Um, they also um, you know, invite environmental and community organizations like ours to come and have information booths out, out, outside lands. And we can do outreach to new audiences, get younger people involved in parks, climate change activism, things like that. So they're a great community partner. Um, music in Golden Gate Park is as San Francisco as it gets. So thank you. Thank you. Jillian, and then Sarah, and then Richard Rothman. Hi. My name is Jillian Kazira, and I'm a member of the volunteer organization Friends of the Polo Fields. The cycle track at the Polo Fields is the only 100% car-free and pedestrian-free space uh, dedicated to safe cycling in San Francisco. It's safe for the whole spectrum of cyclists, from seniors and families riding slowly to athletes training fast. Um, I noticed in the proposal for this permit, uh, youth soccer was addressed several times. The impact to the cycle track was not brought up at all. Um, spaces like this are especially important at a time when the number of people getting hit and killed by cars on San Francisco streets is at a tragic high. The track is already open for less than 60% of the year because it's closed whenever the infield is in use. Summer, which has the best light and weather, has the worst access, including a 21-day straight closure for outside lands, and this proposal sounds like it would extend that uh, closure for an additional seven days. Um, I'm a visually impaired cyclist. I compete in races, but I have se uh, severe vision loss. The cycle track is one of the few places that I feel safe training in San Francisco. Um, additionally, when the track is closed, um, people are forced onto shared spaces like JFK. This increases conflict with other road users like pedestrians um, or open roads. Further restricting access to the uh, polo fields, which are a unique and safe facility in San Francisco is unacceptable. I support park com concerts and other revenue streams, but I implore you to implement a plan that uses stages or meadows outside of the cycle track, such as the music concourse. Uh, please do not further restrict access to the cycle track. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have Sarah and then Richard and then Devorah. Hi everyone, Hi. I'm Sarah Otis, a member of the volunteer org Friends of the Polo Fields. I also volunteer with NOPA in Alamo Square Neighborhoods, and I also volunteer with the Civic Corps program that partners with Parks and Recs to restore the parks around the city. I am in strong opposition of item eight. Let's be clear, I am the target audience for item eight. I am the Gen Z that overspends on food and culture <laughs> and music. I'm wearing a shirt I bought at a concert earlier this week in San Francisco. Um, I am a ticketed attendee for Outside Lands. I intend on volunteering in future summers there. Um, I love our city's dedication to music because it shows SF's dedication to community in general. 
the mental and physical health, and most importantly, the safety of people in SF matters. The Polo Fields tracks are a resource for exactly that. They help us find peace and community in a bustling city. And also, they prevent horrible cyclist accidents that happen in San Francisco. I urge us to find a solution, like Jillian said, that allows the uh, that allows the events to happen elsewhere outside of the polo field tracks. We are blessed with Golden Gate Park, which has so many different places and meadows and music venues and stages that can hold these concerts. And we can't sacrifice the well-being of SF residents in order to bring more revenue and more culture and music to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Devora and then Keith. Good morning again, Commissioners. Richard Rothman. I um, uh, represent District 1 on the Park and Open Space Advisory Committee, and I'm a retired union member. Um, the one, uh, well, first, at a community meeting in, a year ago, Dana Ketcher promised the community that there would only be two concerts a year in the park. So why has changed? I think she hoped she was speaking for the park. The one word is traffic. It's not people blocking garages. It's people parking on the street and can't move their car. You know, what if somebody has to go, has an emergency or has child care? If they give up their parking space, then they have no space to park. We've asked MTA to limit cars, you know, in the Richmond, and they won't do anything. Planet, uh, the concert promoters say there's limited parking when there's no parking there. And I just don't think this is fair to the residents who live near the park. Uh, the three supervisors who district touches the park wrote a letter to the commission, which I agree. Why not have these concerts downtown? The mayor says downtown is dying and we need revenue there, so let's have them in Union Square or uh, other parts of downtown. Close off Market Street and have the concert on Market Street. Uh, you know, and then they take away parking, too, on Fulton Street and up by George Washington High School. And why can't the Planet Hollywood, uh, the plant, their employees, take shuttle buses and stop making Golden Gate Park a big parking lot? It's just not fair to the residents. I support Rec and Park getting more money, but let them have it in other parts of the city. Thank you. Thank you. Deborah and then Keith. Good morning, Commissioners, General Manager Ginsburg. Good My morning. name is Devorah Joseph. I am the founder of the Friends of Cabrillo Playground, which is located between Fulton and Cabrillo on between 38th and 39th Avenues. So as you can see, we are at the epicenter of outside lands when it happens. And as Richard was saying, it's the traffic, it's the trash, it's the noise. It's a lot to deal with. This proposal, which would extend it, means that more or less, the park is going to be closed for the entire month of August. Now, I'm somebody who walks the polo fields every single day. So that's a month that my neighbors and I don't have. We suggest you look for another venue. What about McLaren Park? 
I mean, that's another nice big park in the city. I understand it's not originally the setup, but I think what you're doing is you're, you're asking too much of our neighborhoods, both the outer Richmond and the outer Sunset. And I'm questioning, what do we get for it? A few years ago, I came down here and I asked if you would build a skate park for the kids somewhere in Golden Gate Park west of 25th Avenue. No skate park. Please, think of another, think of what we have to deal with and find another venue for it. Thank you. Thank you. Is Keith here still? I think he might have left. That's okay. Um, is there anyone else in the room who would like to comment on item eight before I move over to the WebEx? Thank you, Ashley. So I can assure you we won't be taking near uh, the allotted time. Uh, my name is Vince Courtney. I'm with the Northern California District Council of Laborers. I'm joined by some of the very best that we have to offer in your department. Um, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to talk about this item. Um, some of our folks are going to weigh in just so you can hear directly from them. Um, I did want to um, thank you guys, uh, especially you, Commissioner Anderson, for your um, candid, um, unapologetic uh, no fear comments because that's what we need from government. Um, there's no place I'd rather be than right here right now with you people. This is by far the best commission, the best department with the best management. When we talk about we fight, we win, we're talking about this department, we're talking about this leadership team, and it's a credit to all of you up there. So, you know, I, I, I really wouldn't rather be anywhere else. Um, staff um, is really integrated into your your you're winning, right? Um, and it's not that way in these other departments where I've had the privilege and honor of working at Public Works, the PUC, the other city. This is unique. This is an extraordinary approach, and we'll be speaking on, a, on another item in a minute. We support, um, we absolutely support these permits. Uh, Rec and Park always seems to be a step ahead. Um, and this is just another example of being a step ahead. We're being confronted with a contracting economy. We're being confronted with some nonsense from some enterprise departments. But you guys always seem to be kind of ahead of the game. Uh, and I, there's nowhere I would better place my money when we're betting about what the outcomes are. Please continue having no fear. Please continue asking the hard questions. And always know the local 261 absolutely has your back. Uh, Tobias Price. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name's Toby Price. I am a chief steward for Laborers Local 261, as well as a park section supervisor for Reckon Park. Um, entering into a contract with another Planet Entertainment to host concerts in the polo fields after outside lands would generate substantial revenue that is crucial for the San Francisco Recreation and Park Department to main programming, care for facilities, and avoid further cuts to essential services. This partnership brings economic benefits, supports community engagement, and enhances recreation opportunities, all while helping address the city's significant budget deficit. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is uh, Shade Sarton. I'm a um, resident since 1998 here and currently a gardener uh, for Reckon Park and uh, chief steward for Local 261. And I want to express my support of this um, for a number of reasons, one being, you know, money. We, you know, obviously this is a very important thing. And, you know, I came through an apprenticeship program where we have drilled into us every day budget, budget concerning starting with water and on down the line. So we think about it constantly. And I live in the Richmond district. I complain when uh, outside lands happens, but I understand the importance of it. But I do share the burden with people and I understand why it's difficult. 
But you know, these these parks um, are you know where people and our botanical worlds collide to express this city perfectly. And festivals are something historic to this city. When you see San Francisco mentioned positively, you know, historically, there's, it's oftentimes, you know, festivals, music, culture. And I do think that this is continuing in that tradition in a creative way to make money for the city and continue to put that money into trained, skilled labor that cares for the city. Because, you know, I'm now someone that can contribute to my city in various ways, and I have a... A, a, a living wage job that allows me to stay here in this city and support it. Thank you. Thank you. Mark, please. Hello. Uh, my name is Mark Morris. I'm a shop steward. Um, professionally, I actually work directly west of the polo fields, and I can tell you that there's a number of operational uh, procedures that we do during outside lands that another week would allow us much needed time to, to do on Chain of Lakes. Professionally, I, or professionally, personally, my front door is actually the Uber designated pickup spot in the sunset. <laughs> That's, so knock if you, next time you're by. Um, and I can tell you that having witnessed another planet load in, it's a very complex procedure that is not, um, it's not going to happen anywhere else. So adding another week onto the end of that is very much worth the the finance that it's going to uh, bring in and i believe i use the circle track every day do four to six laps and i can tell you that seven extra days is very much worth the 1.4 to 2.1 million dollars thank you thank you my name is jacob black i'm a shop steward we're local 261 gardener um i live also in the richmond uh inner richmond uh, I live on the track of Beta Breakers. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I just know all these festivals. I'm very familiar. I, I totally support this. And, um, you know, just, just seeing, like, talking about taking this festival downtown or to McLaren or, or shifting the burden on some other neighborhood, I don't think the other neighborhoods can handle it. I think that our neighborhood handles it well. We have a lot of access points for traffic in and out. I think... Um, I think when, you, when you're thinking about this, we're getting a buy one, get one free here, right? I mean, I mean we're, we're extending it one more week and we're doubling our money. Um, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yes, it is. Um, I think that we need this money. I think that we should uh, limit water use uh, while, while this festival is going on, and that does happen. We, we stop watering our, our, some of our biggest meadows here. Um, there's just so many reasons, and to... Uh, my, uh, um, I raised a son in, the, in a Richmond who played soccer, um, and I'm going to let you know, there's cancellations in soccer for every reason whatsoever. Any given day you come to your soccer game, it's not going on. And, and if we know well ahead of time that there's going to be a festival here, the soccer world knows how to fix that. We know how to schedule games in other locations. So that's not, to, to me, that's, not a, that's a no-brainer. Let, let's support this, uh, this concert. Let's get that money. We're, we're in a time when, you know... Being in San Francisco for so long, I felt like our economy could never be phased. You know, all these other places, you know, were, were dealing with the downturn. But we lived in a city that always seemed like we were, we were just a little ahead of the game and we, were get, we would get through it. You know, it didn't affect us quite as bad. I feel like the next few years, it's going to affect us. And I think that we need to uh, get back to our roots. I think we got away from our roots for a while there. And I think entertainment and the music industry and, uh, you know, just festivals and bringing people together is very 
like someone else said, bury San Francisco, and it's time to get back to our roots. Thank you. Thank you. Hello there. Um, my name is Shay Farwell. I'm the captain in the Richmond District. Um, I also live in the Richmond District, and I was an apprentice during one of the outside lands, so I got to work um, in, in that area and see how it was set up and how much work and time goes into it. So I think it is beneficial to, like they're saying, use what they already have there to um, extend it to another festival. Um, I don't like public speaking, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Did great. Good morning, commissioners. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Beth McDowell. Um, I'm a gardener. I am a shop steward for Leona 261. I also live in the Richmond. I came up through the apprenticeship program, uh, fantastic, probably the best horticultural municipal training in the nation at this point. It's been fantastic. Mm. And um, I've also worked on some of the festivals that we've had, and um, this seems like a no-brainer, to be frank. Um, we need to maintain our parks. We need to maintain the investment in our labor force, in our, the maintenance that the Richmond residents, the Sunset residents, all of the residents of this city have come to depend on for a spot of light and beauty and safety and peace in the city. Um, this seems like a very efficient, um, thoughtful, cost-effective way to do that. Um, I also live at one of the major entrances for outside lands. Of course, it's disruptive. It is ridiculous um but it is thoroughly thoroughly worth it and no never less than when we're headed into a budget deficit in my park i am working on little erosion control plantings to help with the water issues that we're handling it'll help a little nowhere near as much as the income that we could gain from this festival thank you very much thank you thank you thank you one and all oh Hi, my name is Kendra Armitage. I am the supervisor of the Gardner Apprenticeship Program and a San Francisco native. And I also support uh, bringing more concerts to Golden Gate Park. I grew up going to concerts in Golden Gate Park and as a laborer having to prepare and then also clean up afterwards, I appreciate the work. <laughs> um, so please approve this measure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, one and all. Um, we will now move to comment on our WebEx. We have 12 hands raised currently. Um, if you are here to comment on item eight, now is the time to raise your hand. Please unmute the first caller. Hello, uh, this is uh, Patrick Grady. I'm a uh, resident of the uh, Sunset District. My wife and I have lived there since uh, 2006, and uh, we have found that the uh, outside lands event um, that's been run since uh, I think 2008 has, uh, you know, just really been a, a great event for the district. It brings in a whole lot of uh, folks, a diverse crowd from across the city, across the region, uh, tourists from outside of uh, the region even, to enjoy the beautiful park, the music, the local food, the local art from merchants. Um, and you know, year in year out, we kind of kind of uh, look at you know how that year went from a, just being a resident, and we we are always impressed with just the the amount of partnership between the city, uh, the ape team, Parks and Rec, and local merchants. It just seems that every year this um, this concert and the setup, the the crowd management, the traffic, 
the noise, everything just seems to get better every year in terms of optimizing that for a resident. Um, you know, a, an additional weekend of shows at the polo field seemed to make a lot of economic sense. Um, as a resident, I'm fully supportive of it. Um, I think it's going to be just another opportunity to bring in, um, you know, again, a, a diverse set of folks to enjoy the park, see great artists, and um, really um, highlight the, uh, the, the unique aspect of both the park and the city. So. Uh, as a resident, fully support this, uh, and uh, thank you again for the opportunity to speak. Next speaker. <clears throat> Hello? Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Hi, my name is Jenny Sue. I'm a born and raised native of San Francisco, and I live in the inner Richmond district. I live a block away from Golden Gate Park. Um, and today there's been quite a lot of topics around budget and money, and I'd like to propose a suggestion around contract business terms disparity and neighborhood concessions to enhance this Golden Gate Park concert experience. Um, as we know, San Francisco is renowned for a vibrant music cultural scene, and um, us residents, many of us are actually really thrilled about the prospect of more concerts and events, and others have serious concerns. And I believe with the right concessions, we can elevate the concert experience and unlock these economic opportunities and strengthen the bond among residents in this vibrant community. Um, unfortunately, the first time these concert expansion pan plans were announced on May 12th through press release with voting to pass today, which doesn't provide enough notice for residents to respond to requests for concessions inclusive of um, things like temporary all-day residential parking passes, slow drive roadblocks on streets boarding the park, resident ticket benefits, enhanced security measurements inclusive of post-event hours, property tax discounts possibly, or rotation of venue hosting. And I think all of these have been addressed by speakers previously. Um, there's a high likelihood that this plan will pass in some form, so it's critical to review the contract business terms and work with the residents and businesses on inclusions and concessions and ensure that event the event known and unknown fallout and fees are not passed on to our neighborhood well-being and our property taxes or compromise safety, charm, and well-being of our neighborhoods. Um, real quick, just to kind of talk about the contract business terms, I believe we are undercharging for the rent venue rental. Um, currently, Golden Gate Park plans to charge another planet a fixed permit fee of $2.1 million for three-day music festival. Three However, when you take a look at local arenas like Oracle Arena, Chase Center, SAP Center, Oakland Arena, Shoreline Amphitheater, and Concord Pavilion, they typically employ a percentage-based revenue share Thank model you. ranging from 15 to 20% of ticket sales. Thank you. Sorry, so, your time your time has elapsed. Next speaker. Hi, um, my name is Cliff Barger. I'm a resident of Dog Patch. Um, I want to first just thank the commissioners and the um, the staff for the presentation. Um, I've been to Outside Lands almost every year since 2015. <clears throat> On average, I go two days for the weekend. I think it's a fantastic thing for the city. Um, but as someone who also enjoys running and biking in and through Golden Gate Park, I'm disappointed that this presentation didn't take into account the impact that another weekend and thus another week of Outside Lands has not only on the polo field cycling track, also on the running track and on the various routes that people are detoured to through the park to safely bike or walk just to get to their destinations. I think it's super important that another planet entertainment and 
rec parks take a closer look at how access to the polo field, which is already severely restricted in August, can be improved um, and how better uh, routes for people traveling through the parks on foot and by bike um, can be made during this time. Um, I just want to emphasize the, the polo field is a really unique space in the cycling track in the Bay Area. Um, as other commenters have noted, there's essentially nowhere you can safely ride a bike um, without, um, without running into cars or pedestrians or, or whatnot. So it, it's really a shame that it hasn't been recognized that there is an impact on limiting access to this space for another week. Um, so I, I want to thank you all. And overall, I think it's a, a great idea um, to add, add more time to outside lands. I think it, it's great for the city. It's great for the region. Um, but this is a, a key element that needs to be addressed. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Parker Day, and I'm calling in today because I'm really concerned about the impacts that Outside Land currently has on active transportation through Golden Gate Park and how this potential extension would continue and deepen those impacts. Today, I'm hearing a lot about noise, about revenue, and other aspects of the event, but I'm not hearing anything about what happens to that essential car-free route. It's a mess every year, and it's actually getting worse every year, unlike other aspects of outside lands. Um, and yet it seems to come as an afterthought. This is extremely concerning because people rely upon this route. It's not just for recreation. It's essential. It's an essential connection between eastern neighborhoods and western neighborhoods. And unlike driving, it's without any good safe alternatives. Normally, park visitors can expect a safe, low-stress, accessible, car-free route across the park. I regularly see people in wheelchairs, families on cargo bikes, children biking on their own, numerous people commuting along this car-free route. All that goes away when Outside Lands takes place, both before, during, and after the event. And this space is just fenced off with no good alternatives. So uh, it's essential that there must be a traffic management plan that takes safety and comfort of active transit users um, as a part of outside lands. So please do not throttle the people's safe passage just for revenue. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, um, thank you. My biggest problem is the democratic process being bypassed so egregiously. When you take item seven, a vote on your budget based on the income from an extra concert, a concert which obviously you have had many months to develop with an East Bay company. Um, the Sunset District and the Richmond District are extremely different in the impact to their neighborhood. Um, I'd like you to look at a map and look at 94121, and you'll see that we only have a few areas of egress and ingress, especially north-south. I would like the contract limited, not two or three days, two days. Leave it at two days. I see that you're going to ram this down our throats, and we have no input whatsoever. I agree with the previous caller about concessions needed. Guess what? Costs are going to go up for the park. They're always going to go up, and you can't have concert after concert after concert. And I'm glad you took into consideration the take down and up costs for um, the production company, but you didn't take into consideration the impact on the landlocked Richmond district. 
I'd like to agree with the person who said concessions. Maybe if you had given us some time for public comment, um, conserving the West End Lake, you know, getting some cops out there. They used Cabrillo as uh, a highway. The kids almost got killed last year. The, the trucks and the semis coming into the area to take things in and take things out um, have almost killed kids on Cabrillo. I've seen it with my own eyes. The lights and generators go 24-7. They make noise. They're not always solar-powered. The trucks that take the things in and break down go a lot longer than just the days of the concert, and they go way into the night, the constant beeping, causing loss of sleep and everything else. So I think um, basically, you know, you had a lot of union guys. You had an obvious you had a, a department head um, from workforce development. Thank you. They're integrally involved in having sorry, to have their elapsed. paychecks made, but... Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, are you there? Okay, it looks like they're unmuted, but they may have stepped away. Uh, please move it on to the next speaker. Speaker, you can raise your hand again if you need to. Uh, hi, my name is Michael Howley. Uh, I'm a neighbor of Golden Gate Park. I live on Stanion Street. Uh, for the last three years uh, since pandemic started, I've made frequent use of the car-free route across the park, uh, walking, running, biking. It's a, a critical transportation corridor across the west side of the city. Uh, love it to death. Um, but I'm concerned whenever outside lands happens, that car-free route gets obliterated for several weeks. Uh, another planet, uh, two years ago was, was rough because of the rain, but even last year, um, they way overshot their permit closure dates, uh, leaving that transportation corridor completely inaccessible for people not in cars uh, for a long time. Uh, they don't provide uh, a good alternate route. They don't follow their own transportation plan. Their maps are mislabeled. They send people on a detour that sends them into a one-way uh, car traffic death trap on MLK. Uh, and so I'm concerned that we're talking about extending uh, their activities uh, without consideration for replacing this crucial transportation corridor. This isn't just recreation space and people can go recreate elsewhere. Uh, we need this as a way of safely getting across uh, the side of the city. Uh, so I would implore you to ensure whether or not you grant this extension, I, I suspect you will, you make sure that another planet has uh, a transportation plan that considers the needs of uh, active transportation users, because uh, there is no alternate path for us. Uh, we need to make sure that we preserve this route across the park. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, good morning, Commissioner Zach Lipton. I just want to associate myself with the comments of the Bicycle Coalition. We just spent the past several years uh, going to considerable trouble to build this safe uh, Bay to Beach route across the city for people riding bikes and using active transportation. The supervisors passed a resolution identifying that route as a priority, and the voters overwhelmingly supported it with Prop J last fall. So it's very frustrating that after we've done all that work to build this route, Every year it's closed for outside lands with no remotely usable or safe detour. 
Adding an additional week would only make that problem worse. There'll be no real bike route across the park for an entire month. It's a big park, and I know that we can require um, APE to protect a safe and accessible route for active transportation during the event and to ensure access to the polo field cycle track. As someone who doesn't own a car, the park is my safe route to the Sunset District, and not having that route for a month represents a real problem. I honestly like outside lands, and I'm not opposed to the event, and I'm glad how festivals really contribute to the vibrancy of the city, but protecting this essential car-free route across the park must be a condition of this permit. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Andrew Solo, and I've been living on the backside of Mount Davidson west of Twin Peaks since 2002. I support having additional multi-day concerts in Golden Gate Park. What I do not support is having concerts in Golden Gate Park with no noise limit and with all information concerning noise levels, potential hearing damage, and noise nuisance to the surrounding neighborhoods intentionally hidden from the public. I have been renting hotel rooms during the current out, annual Outside Lands Festival to escape the noise, and I do not want to be forced to pay for additional hotel nights to escape noise from the additional Polo Fields concerts. I believe that the noise level at the annual Outside Lands Festival frequently exceeds 100 decibels, which is a violation of Cal OSHA and Federal OSHA noise standards and is definitely loud, loud enough to damage concert attendee and employee hearing. Unfortunately, the Recreation and Parks Department has been allowing another Planet Entertainment LLC to conceal all noise measurements collected and all acoustical models and reports prepared for outside lands and now for the polo fields concerts from the public. It's impossible to, term, to determine the environmental impact of high noise levels if the noise measurements, acoustical models, and reports are not available for public inspection and consideration. Before the Recreation <laughs> and Park Commission approves a use permit for an additional annual concert at the polo fields, I request that the commissioners and staff take the following actions. Establish quantitative noise limits for all outdoor concerts held in Golden Gate Park, including the Outside Lands Festival, and incorporate those standards into the new polo fields use permit currently under consideration. Require that the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department and another Planet Entertainment LLC uh, doing businesses outside lands Thank immediately you. disclose. Next speaker. And just as an update, we have um, eight more speakers. Uh, I already spoke. Okay, thank you. Next speaker. Hi, uh, my name is Pat Robertson. I am a uh, longtime uh, Richmond neighborhood member, and I, I do appreciate the comments that have been heard about you know inconveniences to people in the city. But I will say, I do live in the neighborhood. I live near. I can hear the music when they play, whether I go to the concert or not. And just to take a step back, and I know this is the commission's job, is to think what's the, in the best interest of the city, but these are the events of why many people choose to live in San Francisco. And I will say another planet has done a great job of managing outside lands for years, and I'll say, yes, there are minor inconveniences, and you know, 
Sundays I would love to be able to drive across the park in the middle of concert day. But on the whole, it does bring so many people to the city. It is a great job for the businesses. I was listening to item seven on the budget and frankly getting more money to our parks department feels like just a really wonderful thing to do in this environment where the city is dealing with broader economic issues. And the fact that another planner is willing to come do this, draw people into the neighborhood, give money to the parks department, and create sort of a real event that brings the city together feels like something we should be supportive of as a city. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, commissioners. My name is Johnny Delaplane. I am a 20-year San Francisco resident. Uh, I used to live in the Sunset at 23rd and Irving and was always really excited when the concerts came to Golden Gate Park. And walking into outside lands and walking into the other festivals are some of the fondest memories of my life. Um, our city is at a, at a crossroads right now, and everybody's seen the negative press blasting San Francisco. And and while I don't believe that all that is true, what is happening is we are seeing a cultural drain and we're seeing an economic drain from our city. You know, is it to the extent, you know, outlined the Wall Street Journal? No, but we need to absolutely end the nimbyism that has been controlling San Francisco since I moved here 20 years ago and probably many decades before that and start embracing companies that are local, I consider a Bay Area, East Bay company local, that want to make an investment in our city and bring more travelers who are going to support the small businesses. I'm a small business owner as well. I need people to come to Golden Gate Park to support my small business, which is called Burners on Hate. It's a little cannabis dispensary in the Haight-Ashbury. And without companies like Another Planet putting together events and making that place vibrant, you know, we're just gonna keep losing. The drain out of San Francisco is gonna continue. So I understand that people are concerned I think it's really telling that the people that are complaining about this aren't getting their name and the people that are supporting it are. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna stand up and, and, and be a NIMBY and try to inhibit the COVID recovery and economic development of our city, at least have the courage to say your name, you know? So please support this proposal. Um, please support anything that reasonably supports economic growth in this city. I'm not saying we give it all away, but this is a tried and true formula that another planet has used. I've lived near Golden Gate, I live on Fulton Street now, I've lived near and around Golden Gate Park the entire time here. Another planet is good at keeping things open. All the Thank other festivals, you. like Harvey Strictly Bluegrass, Sorry, your I time welcome has all elapsed. those. So, oh. nope. Next speaker. Hi there, commissioners and general manager Ginsburg. I hope we all put our phones down and listen up just for a couple minutes. My name is Robin Kuttner and I formed the Friends of the Polo Fields volunteer organization earlier this year. We formed because we ride bicycles for transportation and for sport. When we ride on city streets in San Francisco, we get hit by cars. The Polo Field cycling track is literally the only place in the entire city where people can ride bikes without cars or without pedestrians, and it's of infinite length. There is no alternative facility. Likewise, there is no other place where you'll find a beautiful cross-section of our city on bikes, elite athletes, seniors with shaky balance, and kids with their training wheels off for the first time. The Friends of the Polo Field supports park concerts and these revenue streams. We want you to get that money. We support the two-for-one deal using concert infrastructure that's already been set up. 
but we are begging you to slightly modify this plan and select a stage outside of the polo field. Pick one on a meadow. Your presentation mentioned impact to soccer players multiple times, but it was clear that you forgot about cycling track because you didn't mention it once. You didn't mention impact to the cycle track community once. We have a robust and beautiful community. The concert stages on the other meadows do not encircle other unique park facilities, and this is the relationship between the polo field stages and the cycling track. Even before this proposal, access to the cycling track was abominable. It's currently closed for 40% of the year, mainly because you close the track when the infield is in use, even though there is a tall fence separating both of them. At the end of the summer, you already throw the 21-day outside lands closure at us, and now you're proposing extending that by several days. No, this isn't a public pool. There's no other place for us to go. It's only one cycling track. Thank As you. it is, every day of the... Please choose another stage. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi there. Uh, we are undercharging the, ven the venue rental. Park and Rec is charging a 5% off of ticket sales or $2.1 million for the three-day event, while other concertinas charge 15 to 20%. Consider the estimate outside land ticket sales revenue of $50 million for the 2022 Outside Lands Festival. A standard 15% rev share model should generate $7.5 million, <laughs> resulting in an extra $5.4 million on top of the proposed $2.1 million fixed fee over the next few years. Let's get more money. Even at a discounted rate of 50% of the standard 15%, the parking permit fee, the park permit fee would be closer to 3.75 million per three-day event. Additionally, from the press release, Outside Lands has driven $1 billion to local businesses over 15 years, which is about 70 million annually. Add in the 50 million in Outside Land ticket sales, therefore an additional three to $5 million charge per event from the vendor allocated to Rec and Park for maintenance, utilities, stormwater surcharges, and other neighborhood concessions seems like a very reasonable ask. Without it, maybe ignoring unknown fallout fees. Um, and would like to request a delay in voting extension to review and agree to concession terms from the community. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello. Sorry, I needed to stop riding my bike because I'm calling in from the Polo Field cycling track. Um, yes, if you had listened uh, to that presentation, you might be unaware that there is a cycling track around the polo field. Um, it is heavily used. I've uh, ridden thousands of miles here in the past couple of years. I just looked online. There are, um, in the past three months, there have been 28,000 miles ridden around this cycling track. Just when I've been here in the past hour, I have watched an 85-year-old man spend um, a full hour riding circles here. I watched a man teach his two children how to ride a bike. Um, I support uh, concerts in Golden Gate Park, but I would strongly implore you to consider using one of the other stages of outside land that does not impact this unique resource. Um, because when you are asking um, to close the, pol the polo field cycling track for more time, you're asking that 85-year-old man and that man teaching his two, ki two, two, kids, two kids to ride a bike to do it elsewhere where they're likely to um, have to interrupt with cars and might get hot. Um, 
and more likely you're asking them to not ride a bike. So please um, consider one of the other stages um, and thank you for your time. Thank you. I think we have two callers left. One, um, please, please unmute the next speaker. Just want to finish up here. I also request that the Recreation and Parks Department. I'm and sorry, the Andrew. You already down. spoke. Um, yep. We can. We've passed your. If you want to continue, you can of course email me, and I will share that with all of the commissioners. Please unmute the last caller. Hey everyone, uh, Alec Hawley here, D1 resident of the Richmond District. Uh, I'm just calling in because you know what I I support uh, the concerts in the park. I love the fact that this money goes back towards uh, programming and maintenance in to a really valuable public space uh, for all of us. But um, the problem is uh, right now uh, the way that Outside Lands is set up. Um, I don't. I don't drive. Uh, I, it's not just for recreation that I bike. I bike with my kids. I walk with my kids all over the place, all over the city. Right now, there are no concessions to make sure that it, there is still a safe route. And the Richmond District and Sunset District are clogged with us. We're a transit for a city. We've declared a climate emergency. We need to act like that. And there needs to be a plan that addresses getting people to the concert without personal cars and there needs to be concessions around making sure that there are safe routes for people who don't have cars and who are not concert goers. Um, that's it. Otherwise, you know, honestly, I love, I love the idea of extra revenue. I do believe that it should be charging more, but um, yeah, that's, that's it. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, that was our last caller. <clears throat> so seeing no further public comment, public comment is closed. Commissioners? Commissioner Hallisey. Uh, George, first of all, thanks for your presentation today. I appreciate it. Uh, we all do. And with all due respect to Jillian, Sarah, Devorah, Richard, thanks for being here today to speak on this matter. I also want to thank all the people that, that chimed in online, uh, some of whom, of course, are against this permit. Uh, we hear you. We really do. We listen. Um, but I have to say that I'll, I will be voting to approve this permit today. And we heard Antonio speak earlier about the $3 million of general fund not available to us in fiscal year 24, which is when these concerts would begin. Um, I, I don't see the impact here. There, as George said, there is still one load in. There is still one load out. And we're only going five days beyond the outside lands loadout. We're pushing it back. So those five days, the department can pick up anywhere from 1.4 to $2.1 million. The lower number if there's two days of concerts, the higher number, three days of concerts. And I believe I have this right as well, that all staff salaries related to this event which could add up to $150,000, will also be picked up by another planet. That was in the notes I had. I, I believe that's correct. But uh, RPD has had a, a long 15-year uh, relationship with another planet, and I just feel that the, the pluses far outweigh the minuses here. 
again, though, thanks to those of you that are here in person and those that called then online. Thanks, Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Louie. Um, thank you, George, and uh, everyone that spoke for public comment. Um, we sit here, it's so difficult. It's just so difficult to listen, to hear, and we do hear you, as Commissioner Hallisey says. You know, we're voting today to recommend the permit the way it is written to go forth to the Board of Supervisors. I think that's what we're voting on. And uh, I'm concerned about, you know, accessibility, you know, so there's talk about alternate locations within the park. And then we hear that, you know, other districts like Kate spoke about that downtown is concerned and wants to have concerts like this to revitalize another another jurisdiction of ours. But, you know, um, I think there's a, you know, the, the another planet entertainment, you know, the cost of, I can imagine, taking down the stage and moving it downtown to another location, there, there's, a, there's a huge cost, and all those things were not brought out today. But um, we do hear you. We will, I will vote to, to move this forth to the Board of Supervisors. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Anderson. I, too, want to thank George and all of our um, public commenters today. Um, there are a lot of sacrifices that we all make by being residents of San Francisco sometimes when great festivals occur, you know, like the um, parade that happens around um, Fleet Week and Columbus Day and um, Indigenous Peoples Day, sorry. Um, we have festivals all over the city, and it's what makes our city great, and it's what, ma it's what makes people want to live here and, and visit. And, you know, we're a tourism city, so I want to just say thank you for the impacts that you're w willing to endure. And you should feel proud about what this great city offers to all of us. And, you know, for the people that live in that area, I would say that um, you do get impacted, but then also you get a lot of extra attention in your areas throughout the year that some, maybe some neighborhoods don't. And that inures to all of our benefits. Um, if there are legitimate concerns about the noise levels, I hope that maybe we can um, monitor that and adjust it. I'd like to understand a little bit more about how that works. And um, for people that have the really good idea that we, could, we should consider other places in the city to do things, that is true, but this is such a great opportunity for us to, to maximize efficiencies in terms of setup and breakdown for just a few days extra more, we, we, we can um, provide a great cultural opportunity for a lot of people and have the extra benefit of some funds that we can spend for our residents. Um, and you should know that other venues are being considered for activation events all over the city all the time, and there's a great variety of them. I think the mayor has put a press conference out about that, uh, a press release out about that. And, um, you know, come out and enjoy. There's so much more going on. Lastly, I'd like to say that I know it's not um, a cycle circle, but we do have an extra mile or so of JFK Drive that has been closed to traffic. So, you know, there's an opportunity for recreation with, with bikes and things like that to consider um, 
<clears throat> during the time that the polo fields are closed down. Thank you. Commissioner Mazzola. Thank you, Commissioner Buell, and thank you to everybody that came out today for this item number and called in. Appreciate hearing both sides. Um, I just want to uh, say that we received some letters in our packets from members of the Board of Supervisors, some members of the Board of Supervisors that had a question about this, and I just don't want that to go ignored. So, um, but I think it's been addressed already, and that is, uh, why can't we do this somewhere else? And it sounds to me like the infrastructure is already there, it won't be cost prohibited, um, stuff like that. So um, it seems like those are the answers to that, but I just wanted to know if the general manager or you would like to just expand on that issue of having it somewhere else, um, if there's any more reasons besides that. Sure. I'm, um, we, we agree with those supervisors and think it's a, a wonderful idea to continue to activate our public spaces and our plazas uh, and are working very hard to do that. Um, and um, But as you heard today, the, the key thing here is infrastructure and, the infra and what makes this agreement possible is the existence of the pre-existence of the infrastructure. Uh, and some of the spaces that were referenced, uh, 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 Union Square, for example, can't really accommodate the, the size of the, the, what we hope will be the, the size of the audience in that space. So um, we, do, we have n no issue with a, a policy goal coming from members of the board to activate uh, Civic Center and, and, you know, UN Plaza and Embarcadero and uh, our team is, is truly hard at work on a myriad of, of different ideas to continue to do that. Thank you for that. Um, that's, that's what I wanted to hear because uh, they do have a point and I wanted to make sure that we look at that in the future. Um, but for this one, you know, you can't deny that it is going to uh, put much needed money into our coffers after what we heard today at the budget presentation and it's going to create um, hundreds and hundreds of union jobs. So I'm going to end up supporting this item today, too. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Anderson, did you want to add something else? Yeah, I just wanted to know if there's anything that could my be... hand up. If there's anything that could be addressed around some of these impacts, the noise and whatnot. Anything could be uh, said about that? Commissioner Buell, yeah. I did have my hand up. Uh, okay, I can't see your hand up from here, uh, Commissioner Griffin, but oh. please, please go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I, I appreciated staff's presentation, and I also appreciated all the, the folks that came to speak or called in to speak. Uh, that's part of our whole process is listening to people with their representatives. Uh, so I want to thank them for coming. Um, the other thing is, you know, and, and I understand... I, mean, I I live in the Nopa area, and I can hear outside lands, so it travels quite a ways. So, and I understand some of the concerns, but the benefits of the concert far outweigh my concerns. They uh, <clears throat> they provide a needed culture and entertainment and after being locked up for several years with covid people are just itching to get out so i understand that and that i think this this concert makes sense because of the load in load out issue 
that can be extremely expensive. And that's the only reason I think it's being proposed here now. Um, if it weren't for that, if, if the loadout thing weren't a problem, I'm sure we could look at moving it somewhere else. But I don't think we can, so I'm going to vote to support this measure of moving it to the Board of Supervisors. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, <clears throat> Commissioner Anderson, did you have any final comment? Yeah, I, I was just sort of curious as to what we could do, maybe. Can we bespeak this noise issue, please? Uh, Commissioner Anderson, why don't, why don't I in, invite uh, Dana Ketchum up? We do uh, sound monitoring all the time. Yeah, I'd like to hear festival. a little she bit more about She can give you a little bit of a summary on that. I know that we are very present on this issue. Hi, everybody. Uh, Dana Ketchum, Director of Property Management. I, I would I thank you for the opportunity to respond to a couple of the concerns. Uh, in terms of sound, we have sound monitors out on the street. We are live monitoring it. And when we get significant sound complaints, we identify what's causing it. We did a study in 2019 using Salter, and we actually added relay towers to reduce the spread of the sound. Um, last year, we got just over 100 sound complaints. Uh, we, they, we recognized that there was an issue with one of the stages in Lindley Meadow, then, and we adjusted that. Um, and we are constantly looking for those impacts, including up on uh, in different areas of the city. Um, and, and we will do that here. There will only be one stage. This is polo fields only. So there, um, Twin Peaks also carries in its own special way sound to different parts. Um, so we, we will monitor that. In terms of the access for bikers, um, back in 2012, 21, when we reopened outside lands after skipping 2020, the landscape of the park had changed. There was now a bike route through it, and we knew we had to work with another planet to address it. Um, there, there was a path created, and I, you know, when we worked with the Bicycle Coalition at the time um, to create an alternative path, creating actually um, a dedicated bike lane on MLK, putting up um, barricades, um, and there is a cross down the hill from, from uh, Middle Drive West, thank you, uh, from Middle Drive West. And what we had heard in the last year, including from one of our Prozac members, is that that is too steep and too gravelly and really a problem. So we've been working with, um, to try to provide an alternative because it's really hard to get up it on a road bike because it's gravelly and steep. Um, the, the, and we are also going to work on improving communications out to the community so they understand the routes. Um, when the concert is going on, most of the roads close. And so we're going to work with MTA and the Bicycle Coalition to identify alternative ways for folks to go around um, because we just, for public security, um, we can't have folks through those. So we are actively working on those issues and expect to have a really good solution. On the polo field track, um, traditionally it reopens Sunday 
Uh, I have been promised it will be open by Thursday. Um, so we are talking about a few more days. Um, there was some confusion in the community around the schedule this summer. Um, while we have summer camps, they're over at five and the, and the track opens, it's not every week. Historically, we didn't always have summer camps there. We have three pitches at Crocker closed for renovation and we're trying to fit all of our kits. So there is a balancing going on and we're gonna get information out. Um, we have to close the track when the kids are using it because they cross and we had some serious injuries. So I hope that helps. Thank you. Uh, Dana, question. Um, another planet also offered to meet with neighborhood groups four months prior to the event to help them mitigate all the challenges in that neighborhood? Right. And, and we do have regular meetings. We have our regular meeting for outside lands coming up uh, shortly. And, um, and we are working on really addressing the concerns we had after this last concert um, mm -hmm. that are going, that are occurring. So we, we, every year we make adjustments and hopefully by the time of our meeting, we've solved as much as we can of those, of those issues. And one last thing about moving, there is no other park space that could fit this. You know, Union Square is an acre. This is 25 acres. Um, Petr um, McLaren Park is hilly. Um, so um, I just wanted to also address that issue too. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, seeing no other comments from commissioners, I should advise you that I have just received a letter from the president of the Board of Supervisors, Supervisor Aaron Peskin, wherein he uh, weighs in supporting Supervisor Chan and Engardo's letter regarding looking at downtown San Francisco as an alternative site. Um, with that, uh, the chair would entertain a motion. So moved. Seconded. Uh, is this for approval? Yes. All yes. right, thank you. Uh, it's been moved and seconded. Would the secretary please call the roll? Yes, Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. Aye. Commissioner Halsey. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Right. And Commissioner Mazzola. Aye. Thank you very much, Commissioners. It's unanimous. Unanimous. Okay. We are now on item nine, Mission Bay Parks, OCII, fiscal year 24, memorandum of agreement. Thank you very much. Once again, Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance, here to talk today about a short-term six-month agreement with uh, OCII to maintain parks in Mission Bay. And we have a presentation here for you. So a brief overview first. Uh, the city and county of San Francisco and Port of San Francisco own 41 acres in Mission Bay that are currently under a ground lease to the Office of Community Infrastructure and Investment and designated for open space. Uh, as of May 2023, 24.3 acres of open space have been developed. And as of today, OCI park, has a park management contract with uh, Park Lab Open Space Management Possum, but that ends June 30th. Uh, the ground lease and other land use agreements created at the inception of the Mission Bay project area. Always anticipated that these park parcels would transition ownership from the former redevelopment agency, uh, which is currently the successor OCII, back to city ownership and uh, RPD and the port will begin to maintain the entire Mission Bay open space system on July 1st, 2023. And I'll just state, 
uh, interspersed throughout this presentation since I'm trying to mix the vegetables with the dessert when it comes to a very wordy presentation are some pictures of these parks in Mission Bay. So in the upper left-hand corner, that is Mission Creek, and you can see a light pole for Oracle Park. Uh, the upper right-hand corner, that is the children's play area. And the lower picture is the one of the sport courts underneath 280 Freeway, uh, a volleyball court. So the parcels that will be maintained by RPD if this uh, agreement is approved are the following. Uh, in, the, uh, in orange, uh, it's what we are calling the Mission Creek Complex, which is the current Mission Creek Park, which consists of sports courts, a dog play area, uh, as well as a boathouse and launch, as well as uh, an esplanade along the north portion of Mission Creek, as well as a plaza and lawn along Fifth Street, and then to the south of that is Mission Creek South. Um, and then additionally, we have grouped a Mission Bay complex of sites together in the light orange on this document. We have a dog play area on Channel Street, uh, a kids park uh, right next to that dog play area, as well as some passive lawn to the east of Third Street, which we have called Commons West and East under this plan. And additionally, at the bottom of this map is Mariposa Park, which is right next to the UCSF uh, uh, hospital and medical buildings area. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Community Facilities District Number 5, which is uh, essentially a tax that maintains these parks. After a budget presentation where we talked about some of the challenges that we'll have in future years, it's only right that we tell you that currently the, these parks are planned to be maintained 100% through this tax. So for those unfamiliar with redevelopment, property tax has been used to develop infrastructure in Mission Bay North and South. Uh, the two redevelopment areas uh, that consist of the, this open space. Uh, the city established a CFD to fund maintenance of new parks, should say OCII. Uh, both Port and Rec Park will be using these CFD funds to maintain their respective parcels. These funds can only be spent on Mission Bay parcels and OCII will remain the CFD administrator. Um, and I also want to note that this CFD has historically covered all operating needs and excess funds have been reserved for future shortfalls. However, that in 2024, there are going to be two new parks being developed, five acres of Mission Creek Park, which will be coming to RPD, as well as Bayfront Park, which is to the east of the Chase Center, and that will be going to the Port of San Francisco. Um, the annual CFD revenue will not be enough to cover all maintenance expenses for this upcoming fiscal year and CFD5 fund balance will start to be utilized to cover these operating expenses. Um, and right now under current projections, we're expecting that fund balance will be extinguished within about five years. So uh, the city will need to fund any future operating expenditure gaps, but that's something for in the future. And at the top of this screen, you see Mission Bay Commons, the, the passive lawn, uh, recreation lawn uh, that is east of Third Street. So um, that is going to be maintained by Rec Park as well. What we're looking for is a six-month agreement here. It's essentially a bridge between the end of this contract that OCI has with Possum ending on June 30th 
and the, um, the start of a long-term contract. So basically, we will, the MOA will allow us to maintain the parks on July 1st until that ground lease with, held by OCI terminates. The MOA itself outlines a list of parcels and scope of landscaping, custodial permits and, uh, permits and reservations, security and maintenance services that Rec Park will provide. Uh, the MOA stipulates OCI will reimburse Rec Park for up to a total of $950,000. We plan on providing quarterly yeah. reports to obtaining expenditures, maintenance, and permit revenue. RPD also requests that the commission authorize the park code to apply to these parcels and additionally set operating hours from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. as stated in the MOA. Uh, for those who are unaware, the park code actually states that operating hours are from 5 a.m. to midnight. So we previously talked to the Mission Bay community about having consistent hours with with uh, what is currently on site, which is 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, a little bit about the community engagement for these sites. We first met with the Mission Bay Community Advisory Committee in February of 2022. Uh, prior to that, we talked to OCII about this transfer in 2021 and previously. We have attended multiple meetings, uh, but over the last, we've gone five months in a row to talk about this proposed MOA the staffing plan for the site, park hours, and event permitting. Additionally, on April 14th, 2023, the Mission Bay CAC approved the MOA between OCII and Rec Park. Um, and additionally, at the bottom of the screen, Mariposa Park. This is the park that uh, if you uh, enter UCSF at the Children's Hospital entrance, it is uh, right next to the hospital itself. Um, a long-term MOA with OCI and the port will be brought to the commission with Board of Supervisors approval also needed. Um, additionally, here also to speak today is the Executive Director of OCII, who's been waiting very patiently during the previous items. Uh, this MOA will be part of a legislative package that includes the termination of the OCI ground lease and the formal transfer of parcels managed by Rec Park to RPD ownership. Staff intends to bring this MOA to commission in fall of 2023. And finally, uh, we wanted to talk about the operation itself. Our local service model ensures that there will be highly, a highly skilled team fully focused on Mission Bay Parks and their unique features and challenges. And what we have talked about in this MOA is having a new park service area manager. Half of the time would be spent in Mission Bay, so we're proposing for half of that position to be funded with Mission Bay CFD revenue. A park section supervisor, eight gardeners, one custodial supervisor, two custodians, and two new park rangers, which have, uh, this request has been submitted as part of our budget. Um, and so we have done uh, almost all the hiring, I believe. It's in various states of the process. Um, and uh, we're very excited to have uh, our staff operate within Mission Bay. <laughs> so I wanna thank you. And the final picture is of the dog park, which actually fell off the screen there. but. Yep, that's the Channel Street Dog Park. Um, and very excited to answer any questions. As I mentioned as well, the Executive Director of OCI, Thor Kozlowski, is here. Thank you. Uh, before uh, uh, Thor speaks, I, I just want to uh, thank him uh, publicly. He, he's the director of OCII and uh, had the great pleasure of joining us for, uh, I don't know, it's 1 o'clock, so three hours of 
wrecking part. Fun. So thank you, Thor. <laughs> thank you, uh, General Manager Ginsburg. Uh, it was like a it's better than an episode of Rec Park. Um, it's actually interesting to see other commissions operate. Um, you know, I'm, so I'm the executive director of the former redevelopment agency, as Antonio called us, the OCII, the Office of Infrastructure Investment, uh, excuse me, Infrastructure and Investment Infrastructure. I just said that twice. Uh, OCII. Uh, but greetings, President Buell, Vice President Anderson. Uh, Phil, good to see you. Um, it's been amazing that this planning that's been going on since 1998 uh, is now coming before us. So July 1st, we'll begin uh, the maintenance through through your forces of our, I think it's about 21 acres that is going to transfer over to you guys in terms of maintenance. Um, it's been a long time in the coming, and I know some of the residents in Mission Bay um, have had a lot of concerns about that, but your staff has been very amazing in their planning and listening to the concerns and addressing them in each, each one of the meetings. Uh, since we were dissolved in 2012, uh, we, the plan has always been to transfer all of our assets to the city. Our housing has gone over to the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, and our parks are going to be going over to the Rec Park Department, and we're, we're thrilled to bring that expertise into our park system in Mission Bay, and we look forward to working with you in our other project areas on future transfers. Antonio gave you an, um, an overview of what CFD funds are, the Community Facilities District funds, so I won't get into that. Um, but I, I want to just thank that our, uh, our current parks manager, Possum, as Antonio had mentioned, they've been doing an excellent job for the decades they've been running these parks. Uh, the former uh, parks manager was MJM, Mary McHugh, um, current parks managers, Kathy Hickey and Crystal Watts. I want to thank them. And of course, the Mission Bay Development Group who developed these parks in the first instance and planned uh, this whole community. Um, and I want, to, I want to say you guys have been really impressive with your enthusiasm to jump right in and learn this very specific park system that you guys didn't design. Um, we've been working hand in hand with you and the port as well. Uh, this is not an easy task. We have a big department. We're complicated. Uh, a lot of agencies don't understand how we do business. Um, but you guys are big, and you guys are the, the master of parks management. There's no other department of parks here. And we're just pleased that you guys will be managing these parks. I want to thank a few people, especially uh, the OCII team. We have Mark Slutskin and Nikki Henry, who are not here today. But I want to thank Gretchen Heckman, who is here. Gretchen, could you just stand up for a second? Thank you. Uh, and for the Rec Park team, I want to especially thank Antonio, uh, who's been leading this transition with us, uh, Dennis Kern, Eric Anderson, for planning and staffing and putting together an appropriate budget and communicating their overall expertise of operations to our Citizens Advisory Committee in Mission Bay and to the Mission Bay community at large. There's Dana Ketchman, George Ridgely, for planning on how to get folks the ability now to make reservations. That was a big concern for people planning for reservations that aren't, you guys, your setup system, our system wasn't set up to go beyond July and people are planning for stuff in third and fourth quarter of the year. And Carol, I'm, I'm, I might mess up this last name. Say it again. Sienkowski. Sienkowski. It's almost as, as complicated as Kozlowski. Um, <laughs> And Brendan Young for their ongoing weekly meetings uh, with our current management team and getting into the nitty-gritty of all of our operations. Uh, I want to thank the Mission Bay Citizens Advisory Committee. Um, we have Sarah uh, Davis, who's here in the audience still, I believe. Sarah, just wave. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, I want to thank the Mission Bay community. Um, they provide a lot of input to us over the years, which we transferred to the team, um, but also directly to uh, park staff, and they've been present there with each one of them. 
And last and certainly not least, uh, General Manager Phil Ginsburg, whose partnership and leadership on parks throughout the city has been impressive, and we look forward to continuing to work with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll now move to public comment on item nine. I don't currently have any blue cards. Is there anyone who, if you'd like to speak on item nine, um, I see one hand, two, okay, we got quite a few people. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you. She sat right back down when she saw those people. Um, you want to have her? I was going to, yeah, I was, she raised her hand real quick. So, like, let's have her come up and then. No worries. I appreciate first. the unity. Come, come on up. Um, well, nice to meet everybody. Um, lots of familiar faces. Um, I wanted to take this opportunity to do an, an introduction that I hope will be the foundation of, like, a really amazing relationship over the next couple of years. My name is Sarah Davis. Um, my family moved to Mission Bay in the early 80s when there was no Mission Bay. I sat at many meetings where people from the community literally took building blocks to decide how Mission Bay parks were gonna be built, where the school would go, where the affordable housing. I can't speak that I was influential in those meetings because I was probably a child, <laughs> but um, I do have a lot of knowledge about how we got here. Um, the Mission Creek Harbor Association, we were the first park builders in Mission Bay. We, we took an industrial area and turned it into Huffaker Park, which will evolve into Huffaker Gardens, and I look forward to sharing the history of Ruth Huffaker in our history. Um, we also poured the first piles of dirt in the Mission Creek Harbor Community Garden and have been maintaining that, um, that space um, for all these years. Um, um, I was appointed to the Mission Bay Citizens Advisory Committee by Gavin Newsom and have sat in those meetings for years under the tutelage of Corinne Woods, um, who uh, an appropriate street, El Diablo, was renamed for Corinne Woods, for anybody who understands the power of Corinne. Um, so I wanted to do this as an introduction to everybody and, and excitement about collaboration. Um, I am a local event producer, so I have watched Reckon Park over the years, and I've really watched how Phil has transformed Reckon Park's permitting system. I remember when you added email, and so I just wanted to say that in Mission Bay, we're going to go through some transitions of what it's going to be, but I, I really have faith that, you know, as long as we're in collaboration, that this is going to be okay. We survived the Giants moving in and Chase Center. We're going to be okay. So nice to meet everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> all right, shall we have you all come back up? <laughs> the labor contingent. Well, uh, my name is uh, Ramon Hernandez. I'm the business manager of the local. I'm so excited this is going to happen. I was followed uh, OCAI and that Mission Bay uh, part for at least seven or ten years. I don't say they don't do a good job, but I think they're going to be in good hands with the park and rec, with the direction of, of Phil and uh, commissioners. Thank you very much. Uh, for make this happen to us. This is great for us, and I hope it's not only A guys, they need, we're gonna need some more there, at least another 20, right, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> and you guys gonna approve it too. <laughs> uh, I talking with the Warriors too, we're gonna represent the Warriors, and they talk about the, behind the Warriors is gonna be uh, five, four and a half, five acres, and they may gonna management that park, but I talked to, the owner, uh, to one of the owners of the Warriors, and they say, if they don't go to the port, they can be go to park and rec, which I'm very happy about it too. So I say either either way, that's great for us, and I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to our people, our residents in City and County, San Francisco. Thank you for coming. 
Hello again, commissioners, and of course, Hello. General Manager Ginsburg. Uh, once again, my name is Toby Price. I am uh, Chief Steward for Local 261 and a Park Section Supervisor for Rec and Park. In 2013, I started as an intern in our San Francisco Botanical Garden, working for $9 an hour. I was then accepted into our 261 and RPD jointly administered state certified gardener apprenticeship program. I promoted to gardener, where twice I was appointed as a park services captain, once with our gardener apprenticeship program and once in the Lake Merced complex. In January, I was promoted to park section supervisor of section one of Golden Gate Park, which includes Conservatory Valley, McLaren Lodge, and the Panhandle, where as a kid growing up in the city, I learned to ride my bike. I'm incredibly proud to be a public servant for the city that I grew up in. And it is incredibly important that we offer these career pathway opportunities and continue to grow those career pathway opportunities so that we can provide a skilled workforce in our parks. Thank you. Thank you. Hello again. I'm Kendra Armitage, the supervisor of the Gardner Apprentice Program. And I would also like to thank you for uh, making this opportunity uh, to increase our workforce because as the apprentice, the leader of the apprentice program, really what we're doing is we're offering a pathway to people who are local residents and then they can come in with no experience. We will train them to have these union jobs, these lifelong careers. And uh, through college education, boots on the ground experience, and, uh, and so I just really appreciate this opportunity to continue to grow our union workforce and give back to our city. Thank you. Hello, my name is uh, Shade Sarton. Once again, I'm a gardener for San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. Um, and I just wanted to say that, um, you know, when I, when I started, I, I was an apprentice as well. And when I started the program, I already knew that I had a passion for horticulture. That was easy. But what I didn't know I had a passion for was workforce development and the history of our city's parks. And I, the first thing I thought of this morning when I woke up was this, and, and it really is inspiring to know that I could you know, be a part of a park system at the dawn of historic parks. And being able to mentor and bring other people into a living wage job in a city um, is a, a massive privilege. And it's something that we all take very seriously. And um, I, once again, just wanna say thank you guys. Thank you. Hello again, I'm Beth McDowell, um, Gardner um, 261. And I also came up through the apprenticeship program um, under Toby and Ali and then graduated, went to work for Kendra, who is now um, supervisor of the apprenticeship program. San Franciscans deserve the best parks and this is the best way we could conceivably raise and acquire gardeners for those parks. There is no substitute for the combination of the diverse life experience that people come in with into the apprenticeship and the stability, education, support, community that the apprenticeship provides and that union-backed jobs provide. The workforce we have now have a deep commitment to the city, a deep dedication, um, and can see a future in a city even in very difficult 
complex times when the department and so many of our city's agencies are facing circumstances that are sending other people fleeing to other cities or looking for something else. Uh, we are so committed to the success of this department. Um, we have long bonds um, through all of our experiences together and it's an honor to serve the city and it's so brilliant that these parks have been brought in. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Mark Morris, uh, shop steward again. I was actually the second class of apprentices 12 years ago. Um, and when I finished my apprenticeship, I was placed here at Civic Center. I actually was the gardener for City Hall, the Opera Plaza, TL Mini Parks. And to the end of that placement, we actually had all of the parks between here and Dogpatch at 23rd Street. And it was a very long stretch. And we watched as they built Mission Bay, sitting on 7th Street for an hour every day, commuting back and forth. And I can tell you that the, the foundation of this, part of this complex has been long overdue. And now that those parks are coming online in our system, the foundation of a comp separate complex to serve these residents and show them that the city cares about them also as their new residents. They're, they may not be new residents, but their residences are new, is key to showing the children that are growing up there that there's other pathways and other, other careers that you can take besides the tech that may or may not be leaving, that there are foundational union jobs in this city that are good living wages. And I can't say it without tearing up. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't have had my daughter without our benefits that paid for her hospital bills. But I, we would have been SOL, sorry for the, I without our benefit. <laughs> so, I, again, thank you for considering this, and I highly encourage you to approve it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. So obviously we're in support of uh, Vince Courtney, Northern California laborers. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Thor. Uh, thank you, General, General Manager Ginsburg, for contracting in and not contracting out and not granting out, which seems like it's the way that people like to do things these days. Government workers, public employees, city employees have gotten a bad rap. Not as much in this department as in other departments, but they've gotten a bad rap that they don't deserve. And what we want the citizens, especially the ones that are paying attention to what's going on here in this department, to understand is that we highly value what we believe they're entitled to. That's a skilled and trained workforce. Somebody who's actually not been handed a shirt and a uniform. Somebody who's gone through and succeeded, because all don't succeed. Some fail. Somebody who's gone through a respectful, professional, physically rigorous apprenticeship program. That's what we're about. Out. Workforce is a mountain that we'll die on. And everybody who knows us knows that. And we're still here. So we want to applaud you guys <laughs> for making sure that a new community, a new neighborhood is going to get to experience what the department has to offer. Some of the best staff you can get. Commissioner Mazzola knows that you can't do better than the government workers that we offer in this department. Thank you for your support, getting me on that uh, workforce alignment committee, where the Recreation and Parks Department is not there. 
All the other departments seem to be there, but that's where we talk about all these workforce development programs that don't quite meet our standards here at Rec and Park. Final idea. You guys have a PUC problem. They have a workforce problem. My recommendation is you figure out how to charge them for showing them how to do this the right way. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, it's not a bad idea. Is there anybody else in room 416 that would like to speak? <clears throat> Hard act to follow, I know. Uh, I don't believe we have any hands raised on the line. Correct, okay, so seeing no further callers, public Mid comment is now closed. Thank you, Commissioner Mazzola. Thank you. Um, I was gonna thank the laborers for coming out, but they all walked out. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to ask a question. Ramon left, but I wanted to give him a shot while he was here. But, you know, so the, the uh, new plan is gonna call for eight gardeners, and I saw the list um, of your maintenance employees, um, and he wants it to go from eight to 20. But before you go from eight to 20, I would ask that you look at why you don't have a plumber on there, a seven four three four seven plumber. Uh, to do plumbing maintenance and, and water stuff at the at the new site we're talking about. Yeah, something that we've looked at was trying to figure out a way for the structural maintenance division to have whatever work is performed in Mission Bay be charged to Mission Bay. So the solution that we came up with was a facilities maintenance project or a structural maintenance project so we could bill time correctly to OCII um, depending on the time spent. So, which could, uh, yeah. Mr. Mazzola, translate into additional structural maintenance exactly. staff over time. So we're we're thinking if not, thinking who, who, if not who would perform the plumbing work? Well, so here's the thing with with all of the the trades the and which is a little different than gardeners who will have a beat right. So all of our trades work is you know based on our TMA system and and calls and we get that this is going to add a significant amount of work and so we are act we're absolutely working on this and we're going to end up with uh hopefully some augmentation to our structural maintenance staff too all right will you keep me posted i definitely will thank you commissioner louis um so i didn't know what we were going to get when i woke up this morning but that was a wonderful wonderful presentation you know the laborers uh, today was like going to a graduation and a wedding. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be a perfect marriage. And um, he got emotional, the gardener. I think we were all a little bit teary-eyed. So, you know, we're just so proud of all of you. Thank you, Mr. Price. And thank you, OCII. Thank you, Commissioner Anderson. I just wanted to point out that when all of our wonderful uh, gardeners and, and uh, friends came up to speak, almost every single one of them are residents of San Francisco. And I just want to point out how um, workforce development and being a member of a really great union that does the right kind of advocacy can help people have decent living with good wages and benefits where they can support and protect their families. So I want to thank all of you for that and for the, part, for the departments for supporting the apprenticeship programs and all the things that we've been doing to educate and mentor because in my opinion the most important thing that we can be doing as public servants is providing quality education and mentorship 
and job and work opportunities. It is the singular most important thing that we can be doing. So thank you, brothers and sisters. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ginsburg. Did you have a comment you wanted to make? Uh, just, a, a, uh, just a couple of closing marks, because it's been a really long meeting, but this is as well, big of a- Well, before you close, Phil- Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Griffin, go ahead. Yeah, um, I wanted to thank Antonio for both presentations today. He did a great job. Um, and I'm glad Kat pointed it out. I noticed that none of the none of the gardeners said, "Well, I'd like to live here, but I can't." They all do, which is amazing. I just think that's amazing. It's not to take away from the fact that the city is unaffordable for a lot of people, but some of our folks have been able to sustain it themselves here, so that's great. Um, I think this sounds like a great project. I'm really excited about it. Um, so let's let Phil. Why don't you close so we can vote? Sure. Uh, I just uh, this is a big enough deal that I, I think a few thank yous and just a quick reflection is in order. We've had a it's been a long meeting. We have one other really really important measure for which <laughs> Stephanie Linder and 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 the Botanical Society has been uh, waiting very very patiently, um, but. This is one of those things that kind of sneaks up on you and doesn't seem like a big deal, but is a very, very, very big deal when you look at the historic arc of our park system. You know, we our park system was created 150 years ago. Most of our parks are somewhere between 150 and 75 years old. We have an old park system, and then as population grows and there's been things like development and redevelopment, we've created new neighborhoods, and there has been, over the last couple of decades, a potential sort of threat, in my view, to what is a cohesive park system that has the same level of standards and customer service and professional excellence for every neighborhood. We've had different entities taking care of different parks. And I know, as as uh, uh, Director Kozlowski noted, that you know the teams that have been managing those parks have done their very, very best. But as good as they are, none of them are as good as, as our people or the institutional history and expertise that, that we bring to this. So I think what you're seeing here uh, is uh, something that wasn't a certain thing. We were heading, the city was heading in a direction where we had an old park system and a new park system. And uh, thank you to, to um, OCII, Director Kozlowski, the OCII Commission for understanding and appreciating, uh, you know, frankly, the, the excellence that the men and women on the ground actually, actually you know, bring to our, our parks and how they steward them. Um, so this is, this, is a, this is one of those moments Frankly, this is a historic moment. Uh, we are adding over 20 acres of new parks in a brand new neighborhood to San Francisco's park official park system, and that's a big deal. So I just want to say thank you, and to the uh, shop stewards and union leadership that was here today. That is here today. Um, you know, I, I just I, I need to say that I am just honored to be your colleague. Uh, you guys are just really amazing. You're, you're professionally excellent and you lead with your hearts and you're, you know, and I just, uh, this is a very, very, very proud and important moment for me. So thanks to everyone. Thank you. Before we vote, um, I do have a uh, technical item to amend for this resolution. But before I do that, Antonio, I had one question for you. You mentioned in your presentation that for, I believe, for the next five years, the maintenance costs will be covered by bringing down the, uh, the operating expense account. 
from the initial funds. And at that time, you said the city would inherit that responsibility, but you didn't name, is it Reckon Park that assumes that responsibility, uh, the mayor's general fund? Where that's, that's an excellent question, and I apologize. I was trying to speed through because I was trying to respect everybody's time. It's been a long meeting. Mm. Essentially, there's been, and uh, you know, I am not the OCI CFO, but I believe there's roughly around 3 million, 2.9 million in CFD, Gretchen? Every year, okay. So that CFD, it's roughly about $2.9 million. Uh, both Port, Rec Park, OCI, the max expenses that have been determined are around 3.5, 3.6 million for the upcoming year. That's what's been brought to the OCI Commission. So that's a little bit over the annual revenue within CFD5. There's a balance built up of, and I'm gonna keep going back to Gretchen, about 8 million? Okay, so there's $8 million. Um, as mentioned previously in the presentation, there's additional acreage that will be built in Mission Bay, Bayfront Park, that will be run by the port. That is opening sometime between the fall and winter of this calendar year. Additionally, uh, Mission Creek will also have an additional five acres. So as we expand the acreage, that means more CFD will be needed to support the maintenance staff. That said, Based on these projections, within five years, we're probably assuming that we're going to run out of fund balance. Um, so that total CFD, will, there will be a deficit within the CFD. So then that means both the port and Rec Park will need to make up that difference. It doesn't mean it's going to be 100% of the difference. It will be, there will be something. And one of the things that we have all collectively talked about is that the property area within Mission Bay that uh, supported the infrastructure buildup within Mission Bay. Right now, and I'm gonna turn to Gretchen again, it's about $30 million within Mission Bay that is being spun directly into the city's general fund, correct? A little upwards of that. A little upwards of that. So that means that Mission Bay, this, this property that used to go support directly redevelopment is now funneling additional money into the general fund. All three departments, the Port, OCI, and Rec Park, we will be making, um, arguments as to why these parks should be supported with additional general funding right. well. I, I guess I only make that comment because today we learned that, that five years from now we may have a huge $8 million responsibility with stormwater runoff charges and that there's a, at least some mention, and I don't object to it, but I think planning ahead for, for these intersections where we're going to need more money is really going to be important, and Mr. we we can't rely on bonds alone. But Mr. President, you 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 make a, such a prescient point, and this is a, a longer discussion for another day. But but the the commission, the department, park advocates are we're going to have to work with the mayor's office and and our our elected leadership down the road to sort of to right size some of the sustainable funding threats we face, um, and but. It, we're just going to have to do it. Uh, you saw we got our Prop B funding pulled. We've got extra water. You know, we, we, we need to align our funding with, with the parks that we manage. But with that said, I think one of the, the reasons it's so significant that we're here is some of, you know, uh, you know, uh, prior uh, administrations in Rec Park always declined acquisitions and new opportunities because the thinking was you 
couldn't take care of what we've got. And I think we need to think about the next 100 years and not just the next five years. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm just, just. Oh, we got, we got work to do. Sending out a warning notice. But we let's move on. We, we've been, we've tested the patience of the public here. Um, with that, the, the modification to this motion to approve this item is a technical one. The park code uh, has universally that uh, the parks are closed from 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, OCII has uh, requested, and I guess the community has requested, that we specifically point out in this resolution that the hours of operation would be that the park would be closed from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So my motion would be to amend the resolution adopting the memorandum of agreement to include the park hours. Point of clarification, please. And that is, this is a six-month agreement, and we can make those park hours changes immediately, correct? Right. Okay. Commissioner Sarah Madlin for the department. Um, we, you last month approved a piece of legislation to move forward to the Board of Supervisors, which allows the park code to extend to properties that we lease or have a management agreement around or something else. So um, presuming that passes, we can then do this by resolution. Okay, thanks. All right. So with that, the chair would entertain uh, a second to my amended motion. So moved and, with amendments. And would the secretary please call the roll? Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? Aye. Commissioner Halsey? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. And Commissioner Mazzola? Aye. All right. Unanimous. Thank you, Antonio. All right. Thank you, Joseph, for your patience and Stephanie. Uh, we are now on item 10, Gardens of Golden Gate Park, Joint Strategic <coughs> Plan. Hi, commissioners. Um, so I think I have some good news to bring to you. Um, we are presenting on our joint strategic plan with our nonprofit partner, the San Francisco Botanical Garden Society, or also now doing business as the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. Um, joining me is our colleague from the nonprofit, Stephanie Linder, the executive director. Um, and I myself, I'm Joe Rothlutner. I'm the uh, garden director on the city side uh, of the partnership. Um, so first, I just want to remind kind of everybody where we are with the gardens of Golden Gate Park. We joined the three gardens, the Conservatory of Flowers, the Japanese Tea Garden, and the San Francisco Botanical Garden Society under a new partnership model that was effective July 1st of this last year. Um, under this partnership, there is a lease and management agreement that guides how we work together and how we cooperate. Um, primarily, the department holds the responsibility of the horticultural maintenance and also the facilities maintenance of the gardens, while our nonprofit partner handles admissions, public programs, events and builds philanthropic support for our gardens. In our first year of this new partnership model, we really wanted to accomplish three goals. Um, the first was to make the gardens free to San Francisco residents and to veterans uh, regardless of their residency. Um, by doing so, our resident visitation has increased substantially at the Conservatory of Flowers and at the Japanese Tea Garden. And we also have served over 11,000 veterans who have used this program to access gardens. We also wanted to create a multi-garden ticket where we could have visitors come to the gardens and visit all three over a three-day period. 
This has been incredibly successful with over 36,000 tickets issued and generating over $1 million of revenue to support the gardens. Uh, the final thing that we wanted to do was to unify the gardens under one membership program, and we've successfully done that, now offering membership at the Japanese Tea Garden for the first time ever. <clears throat> with our combined uh, visitation at the three gardens, we now serve over 1.2 million visitors to our public gardens, which is incredible. That puts us into the top 10 most visited public gardens in the United States, and that is something to be incredibly proud of. Um, this year, uh, to date, we uh, have seen our resident visitation up over 35%. Our non-resident visitation is down slightly, um, but we have maintained revenue on a grow growing trajectory, uh, and we are up 18%. I mentioned that uh, we had our three big goals that we wanted to get through over this past year, but it really has also been a year of transition. Um, we didn't want to just accomplish those, but we are, we're starting to work on many other pieces. We've expanded the diversity and expertise of the board of directors and the leadership team for the nonprofit at the Botanical Garden. Um, well, I should say, not the Botanical Garden, at the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. Um, and we have been working on our strategic planning, which we are presenting today. We also have been working on rebranding with the firm office, as well as doing interpretive planning, or launching our interpretive planning through funding that we received from the Institute of Museum and Library Sciences. Um, we have several experts that are working on that with us, including members of MIG, Smithsonian Exhibits, and the Institute of Learning Innovation. More kind of boots on the ground stuff with horticulture and facilities. Uh, we have uh, returned our annual maintenance closure at the, uh, the Conservatory of Flowers. So this is a two-week period that we close in January. It's a historic structure made out of wood and glass. It's wet. Um, it takes a lot of maintenance for both the physical infrastructure um, as well as for the utilities that support the environmental controls. We have been working a lot with our Japanese tea garden in unveiling the pagoda uh, and its restoration. And this coming week, we are launching our renovation of the pagoda plaza, um, which was incredibly exciting. We also have a new nursery that we are building at the botanical garden, and there's been several other smaller improvements and new plantings. So I would like to invite Stephanie to come up and present a little bit about the strategic plan. Um, when I sp first spoke to you today, it was morning, but now it's good afternoon, commissioners and general manager Ginsburg. Um, really excited to be here. Um, before I jump into the plan, I do want to just be sure um, to thank um, a whole bunch of people at Rec and Park. Um, I want to thank Joe, of course, um, Eric Anderson, Dana Ketchum, Sarah Madlin, Bev, um, and, and many others. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention Phil, who is the champion-in-chief and cheerleader-in-chief for the um, Gardens of Golden Gate Park and for whom this would not have happened without him. So thank you, Phil. Um, I also want to thank, and it was great to see so many um, gardeners and former apprentices here, I want to thank the folks every day who make these gardens what they are and how beautiful they are. Um, so that is our, our horticulturalists on site, our nursery specialists. Um, it's also 
the carpenters, the plumbers, the electricians, the custodians, um, and many other um, of the trades that come in every day and keep these gardens as beautiful as they are. It's an incredible uh, foundation to then launch this plan um, in partnership with the department to make these incredible places even better. So this plan uh, has been long in the works, and it is in alignment with your uh, Rec and Park strategic plan, and it is in alignment with the racial equity plan. In your packet of the appendix of the plan, you have uh, like I think three three pages that uh, sort of outlines what it was a long and exhaustive uh, pro process to uh, come up with this plan. But I wanted to just stress some of the community outreach and engagement. Um, we did uh, stakeholder interviews that were con conducted by MIG Consulting. We had stakeholder workshops and, that were facilitated by an organizational development consultant. We did a public survey, um, and we hoped to get 1,000 respondents. We actually had 3,000. Um, community members love these gardens and had a lot to say about them. That was administered by Civic Edge. And then... Um, the plan has been peer reviewed by the leaders of other uh, leading public gardens in the country and other partner organizations, um, cultural institutions. And so we feel really like this is a well-developed um, well and well-vetted strategic plan. <clears throat> the mission of the gardens of Golden Gate Park is to connect people to plants, the planet, and each other. And our vision is that all people have access to beautiful gardens and experience the intrinsic value of plants to life and culture for a healthy community and planet. <clears throat> the values are that we're everybody's gardens. Uh, we have a justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiative and program and new department of people and culture for the gardens. Uh, stewardship, um, as we've been talking about these these gardens, um, they've you know we're 143 years old, starting with the conservatory, and we hope that we're going to be around at least another 150 years. So the store, you know, we are just here for a moment in time, and stewardship is our uh, priority. Uh, experience and enjoyment. So for the casual, the casual visitor or the person who's not that plant nerd, you know, how, how do they um, experience and enjoy these places if they just happen to pop in? Um, this matters to us. Um, but education and engagement, that deeper, um, you know, more formal education about horticulture, botany, um, et cetera. And then the community engagement through our volunteer programs. Um, excellence. We want to be the best. We want to be in the top 10. As you heard from Joe, we're already in the top 10 most visited um, public gardens through this new, new model. Uh, and we hope that we'll hit those top 10 marks on many other aspects of our work. And this plan helps us get there. And then partnership and collaboration. Um, this partnership between my nonprofit and the, the Rec and Park Department is at the core, but there are many other partnerships that we need to develop and, and work on every day. And that needs to be collaborative to reach new audiences and to have more relevance and broader impact. Um, partnerships will be critical. We're not just pretty places. We actually exist to solve a problem in the world, um, a few problems, uh, nature deficit disorder, plant awareness disparity, <laughs> and shrinking biodiversity threaten the health and well-being of people and the planet. 
Um, and really, the, one of the three main drivers of the shrinking, shrinking biodiversity is climate change and where we are plant conservation uh, work, that's where we directly intersect with the, the crisis of climate change. And our theory of change is that expanding people's understanding of the value of plants to human and environmental health inspires awe, activism, action, and advocacy. The gardens are uniquely situated and, to, and qualified to deliver key messages about biodiversity in the heart of the city, while also directly contributing to the global plant conservation efforts. The shared experiences of gathering, celebrating, exploring, meditating, volunteering, and learning in these extraordinary places builds deep relationships and strengthens community. Now I'm going to turn over the uh, presentation back over to Joe. Uh, this plan is arranged in five pillars. Each of them have about 10 specific goals. It's a five-year plan with a 10-year vision. Um, the shorthand is top 10 and 10. That's where we're headed. Um, but Joe's just got to, um, thankfully, I'm sure at quarter to your, he's just going to bring, tell you about one from each of each of these areas to give you sort of a flavor and a sense of the plan, but you have the complete plan in your meeting materials. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Joe. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, with the five pillars, um, the first one is people. The gardens of Golden Gate Park are everybody's gardens, and we are public, public gardens, and it is our priority to be accessible and welcoming to everyone. So one of the goals that I think that really highlights our collaboration is that um, we are raising public awareness and increasing visitation with the launch of the new Gardens of Golden Gate Park brand. When the Gardens of Golden Gate Park partnership went into effect and the three gardens um, joined, they each maintained their own original names and visual identities. We are now in the process of building a cohesive brand to build broader awareness for the Gardens of Golden Gate Park and to promote visitation and engagement with the gardens. We expect to launch this new brand for the gardens this summer in 2023. And the rebranding uh, process has been collaborative with a committee assembled composed both of nonprofit and department staff, as well as members of the uh, nonprofit's board of directors. The team is integrating broader engagement, including stakeholder interviews, staff feedback, and public survey. Our next pillar, plants. Our climate and our facilities allow us to grow and display an extraordinary diversity of plants from around the world. These plants are essential elements to the historical and cultural landscapes of the gardens, and our living collections create opportunities for conservation and education, and a platform to teach the public about ethnobotany, botany, horticulture, and ecology. Our goal is, or one of our many goals, is through collaboration, um, we are going to implement a peer-reviewed plant collections policy. As a museum of living plants, the gardens collect and care for thousands of unique plants displayed across beautiful landscapes and vignettes. A collections policy is an industry standard for museums and public gardens which hold their collections in public trust. Our policy is a foundational guide that will uh, guide to our processes and priorities for the curation of, living, of the living collection, which includes acquiring, documenting, and organizing our collections. And it will further define our shared goals in building a museum quality collection and the collaboration in, among the teams for the curation of those collections. Place. 
We are place-based stewards and entrusted with preserving and improving, managing, maintaining, activating, protecting, promoting, and caring for iconic, beloved public spaces. The gardens themselves bring joy, peace, awe, wonder, and inspiration to more than one million people annually. One of our goals is to create a capital improvement plan for the gardens. Um, with the Conservatory of Flowers opening in 1879, the Japanese Tea Garden in 1894, and the Botanical Garden at Striving Arboretum in 1940, there are continued needs to manage deferred maintenance while upgrading facilities to meet the needs of the gardens today and for the future. This capital improvement plan will define the scope for projects, prioritize, and build alignment among the stakeholders for the needs of our gardens. Planet. Our role in addressing climate change and environmental sustainability are to lead by example with sustainable and regenerative horticultural practices and organizational operations. To conserve rare and endangered plant species that are increasingly threatened by climate change and development. And to educate and activate the public around biodiversity loss and sustainable gardening. With the goal that we highlight, we will initiate the planning and conservation of our small gas-powered landscape equipment to viable zero emission alternatives. Again, this is another one of those goals that very much is in alignment with the Recreation and Parks strategic plan. With a membership and an audience who are engaged in horticulture, the gardens are positioned to showcase the department's work in transitioning to zero emission landscaping equipment. We aspire to be leaders among the department with this initiative, and we see ourselves as a location that stays abreast of new technology and can act as a hub for trialing equipment at the gardens of Golden Gate Park. And then our final pillar, partnerships. We recognize that our plan is ambitious and we have multiple partnerships that will be critical to our success. Strategic partnerships will advance our mission, expand our reach, diversify our stakeholders, enhance our expertise, generate revenue, and help achieve our shared goals. One of the, the goals we're highlighting here is our piloted outreach and marketing efforts to equity zones for specific recreational activities. We hope to really grow and build upon our successful community programs that we've executed in partnership between the department and the gardens. This year, we expect the participation of over 1,000 youth and teens from Equity Zones who will visit the gardens through Junior Guide and Teen Leader Summer, Program, Teen Leader Summer Programs. Additionally, the gardens participate as destinations of the department's community shuttle programs who bring visitors from community centers and public libraries across Equity Zones. So that's just the, the highlights, but there are so many exciting goals that are in the strategic plan um, to really take us forward. And with my little bit of time I have left, I just want to remind everybody that we should all be excited about Flower Piano coming September 8th through the 12th um, at the San Francisco Botanical right. Garden. So thank you all. Thank you very much. I have to say, I think you have one of the most unique platforms to highlight uh, San Francisco and, and its cultural heritage. And you also have a very interesting, in each of those venues, uh, fo a following. And, and that can accrue to the benefit not only of the three entities, but to Reckon Park in total. So thank you. That was really inspiring. Uh, with that, uh, Commissioner Hallisey. Do you want to do public comment first, sir? I, we do. Do you think there's anyone in the public wants to comment um, on this? I know there are because there are two people with their hands raised. Oh, please then ask them. But I just want to double check. Donald Baldocki is no longer in the room. Just double checking because he did fill out a card. Maybe he has his hand raised. Okay, so maybe that's Donald. Uh, please unmute the first caller. He had a life. 
<laughs> he had a life. This is our life. <laughs> okay. I'll be brief. My name is Lisa Serwin. I serve on the Gardens of Golden Gate Park nonprofit board of directors as the audit chair, and I have a background in corporate strategic planning. I am speaking to support our strategic plan. The strategic plan is a multi-year inclusive plan that allows the gardens to move forward with many projects benefiting the public and the gardens. The plan was developed over several years and included the input of many, many stakeholders, both internal and external, including Rec and Parks and our peers at other institutions. We aspire to be a top 10 in 10. We look forward to your approval of the strategic plan and to continue the work we have been doing along with starting new projects in concert with Parks and Rec. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. You were right. Don <laughs> Daldaki does have his hand raised. Uh, thanks, Don. Uh, I just, uh, at the risk of being repetitive, I am a third generation San Franciscan that has raised this fourth generation here and is hopeful for a fifth. I do have a long history of horticulture in San Francisco, starting with my grandfather's flower shop and continues now with the fourth generation running a nursery operation. Um, and I've served on the board at the Botanical Garden and now this new entity, Gardens of Golden Gate Park, for uh, close to 17 years. That is a great place to fulfill my civic pride and setting that pride aside, I am here to speak in support of the merger and the strategic plan. Years and at least three focused years of planning and due diligence has gone into this merger with a lot of teamwork, including the teamwork of this nonprofit as well as Rec and Park and specifically Mr. Ginsburg. Under this new management, all three entities will be managed much more efficiently, but I think most importantly, the visitor enhancement for out-of-towners as well as those that are residents of San Francisco uh, who can experience this free of charge and as well as veterans uh, creates a huge benefit to this city, as you well know and has been eloquently stated by Stephanie and Joe. Commissioners, I appreciate the good work you do for this city, and I look forward to your unanimous support. Thank you. Thank you. We do have two more callers, so next speaker. Zamad Anderson, I'm the Director of People and Culture for the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. I won't be redundant and state what Joe and Stephanie, uh, our leaders have already stated about the beauty of our park and what we provide for the community. But I do want to show our gratitude for those who make it a beautiful place, our employees, as well as thank the commission and definitely you, Phil, for the support you provided for us getting us to this point. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hey, can everybody hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Super. Hi there. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Claire Myers. Thank you for this opportunity to comment. I've been before this commission before in my role as a playground activist. I was a volunteer for seven years for the renovation of Mount Lake Park Playground. Ooh. And now I serve on the board of the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. And um, I learned a lot during that seven-year public-private partnership of working with the playgrounds. And I got to know firsthand about the role of this commission and 
a little bit about the gap that can sometimes exist between private citizens like myself and public servants like all the people in this room who work tirelessly to make our city better. And um, I grew up in the Richmond district. I spent my childhood in Golden Gate Park, and I'm so proud to be on the board of, Golden, of the gardens of Golden Gate Park. Um, the strategic plan has been developed so thoroughly and so much care has gone into it. And as a parent, I'm raising two kids in the Richmond district right now. I'm deeply excited about what this plan means for youth education in our city. Our kids need what this plan has to offer at every stage of their development. The plan is comprehensive and it gives our kids a gold mine of green education and it brings home the twin ideas of biodiversity and cultural diversity that are essential to raising our global citizens here in San Francisco. I urge the commission to approve this strategic plan because of who wrote it and it maps out exactly how our new merged, newly merged Gardens of Golden Gate Park will make this city shine. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay, seeing no further comment, public comment is closed. Commissioners? Thank you. Commissioner Hallisey. Well, Joe and Stephanie were here two weeks ago to present in front of the Operations Committee. As you know, the Operations Committee was fully behind both of you that day. Now, if we forwarded this to the consent calendar, neither one of you would have had to be here today. <laughs> but we wanted all of the commissioners to hear the great things that you are behind and how hard you're working. And that's why we put it on the general calendar. So it's unbelievable work that you do. Um, apologies though, uh, because you spent your entire day with us today, but you <clears throat> sound like you can never stop talking about the gardens of Golden Gate Park. That's a great thing. And uh, we fully support this strategic plan. And even Donald Baldocki was here in person two weeks ago, and he phones in again. So both of you, thanks for being here again today. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Anderson. I also want to commend um, the society for what a great job is going on. Um, my two, two of my favorite places to visit are the, the Botanical Gardens and the Japanese Tea Garden. And um, I just wanted to put out there that before this merger happened, um, when we were considering um, increase in admission fees, there was a promise to come back and revisit that and possibly increase the fees. So we're past due on that. I have not forgotten. And I don't understand where that fits in what you guys are doing, but just wanted to let you know that we're mindful of that. Um, also, at, I guess tomorrow at 10 is a very solemn Shinto ceremony at the pagoda where they're going to finish. Um, they've taken down the fence that has typically gone around the pagoda. It's gorgeous. It's open. Uh, and they're going to finish that project. And um, although I can't be there tomorrow, I think other people will be there tomorrow at 10 for this very solemn ceremony. I wanted to remind people that that is going on. Thank you. Mr. Ginsburg. Commissioners, in addition to, you know, the, the Mission Bay item, this too belongs in the sort of category of really Epic. significant yeah. positive change. Now, you made this decision uh, quite a few months ago when you approved the merger of these three, garter, uh, these three gardens, and it was one of the most significant and impactful operational decisions uh, that this commission could make, and you've seen the results. And uh, under Joe's leadership and, and uh, on behalf of the department and under Stephanie's just inc 
absolutely incredible leadership and the garden and the board. This is working, and uh, uh, these gardens are now on the map as you know national nationally important spaces. So this strategic plan just sort of lays out the roadmap, and it's really thoughtful and amazing. And I'm just uh, very, very, very proud of all of this. So congrats. Thank you. On that note, um, the chair would entertain a motion to approve the. Uh, joint strategic plan for the Golden Gate, the gardens of Golden Gate Park. So, so moved. moved and seconded. Moved and seconded. Would the secretary please call the roll? Yes. Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. Aye. Commissioner Halsey. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. And Commissioner Mazzola. Aye. Item passes. Unanimous. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much for enduring. <laughs> so um, we are now going to go into a closed session. I have a few things to say before we do that. Um, first, we'll go to public comment on item 11. So we are now in public comment on all matters pertaining to item 11, closed session. Um, I don't see anyone in the room, but um, if there's anyone on our WebEx who would like to comment on, now's the time to raise your hand. Seeing no raised hands, public comment is now closed. At this time, the staff have already done it without even me having to ask. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask everyone to leave. Thank you. Um, I want to state for the record who is currently in the room. I believe it's just Manu Pradhan, um, Phil Ginsburg, myself, Ashley Summers, and Commissioners Buell, Anderson, Griffin, Louis, Hallisey, and Mazzola. Um, I'm here. What's that? I'm physically here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now before um, <laughs> before SFGov TV moves us uh, uh, into closed session, um, I want to make sure we first have a motion and a second to go into closed session. Chair would entertain a motion. So moved. Second. Moved and seconded. Secretary, please call the roll. Okay. On the motion to go into closed session, Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. Commissioner Halsey. Aye. Commissioner Mazzola. Aye. Okay, motion passes. So, um, SFGov TV, if you could put us in closed session. Ashley, am I going to get cut off? No. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
All right. Um, okay, so commissioners, first we'll take a vote on uh, whether or not to report on the action taken in closed session. Is there a motion? I make a motion that we do not disclose it. Thank you. Is there a second? It's been moved and seconded. Uh, Secretary, please call the roll. Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? Aye. Commissioner Halsey? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? Aye. Motion passes. And on the, the second item is to uh, disclose any or all discussions held in closed session. Is there a motion? Same motion, not to disclose. Is there a second? Second. Moved and seconded. Secretary, please call the roll. Okay. Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? Aye. Commissioner Halsey? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? Aye. Great. Thank you. We um, have Just moved on. Extend our gratitude to the city attorney. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Manu. Manu. I'll take it. Thank you. Well, we can move quickly through the rest of this because there is nobody in the room and no one else has joined the WebEx. So we are now on item 12, general public comment. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 13, Commissioners Matters. Commissioners, do you have anything? Yes. Um, I wanted to mention that India Basin neighbors lost a really good friend in the large form of Michael Hammond. And he's gonna have a really cool Viking ceremony style burn. Um, and I just wanted to let people know it's Monday, May 22nd, meet at 702 Earl Street, gather at 7.30, then they're gonna process through a field at 8.30 and do a boat launch with fireworks. Thank you. They're not gonna burn the body, are they? Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> Mr. Ginsburg. Uh, Mr. President, would you, uh, you consider adjourning in honor and in loving memory of Margot Reed? Margot Reed was a longtime uh, Rec Park uh, employee. Um, she was a SEIU uh, shop steward, uh, went on to great, do great things oh. in, in the workforce development space uh, at the Department of Human Resources and most recently at MTA. Um, she passed unexpectedly, um, I think, last, last week. Uh, she has raised an amazing daughter, uh, Lena, who I know, who she got through uh, college on an athletic scholarship. And Margot was actually very instrumental in cre the creation of our recreation model back in 2009 when we were facing all these budget cuts and we, we re-envisioned recreation in a labor management partnership model. And uh, Margot was uh, the champion of that. And uh, she's gonna be sure. horribly, horribly missed. And, and the secretary will send a communication to the family that we adjourned in her memory. Mm -hmm. Are we there yet? Is that the item we're on now? No. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we're, we're on public comment for item 13. There's no other commissioner's matters, I gather. So seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 14. Do you have any new business or agenda setting items for me? Don't see any. Okay, and seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Item 15, communications, any, well, there's no public comment, so that's closed. Any any discussion on that? Great. Now we are on item 16, adjournment. I move adjournment in memory of, is it Margo Reed? Mm -hmm. Margo. Reed. Okay. Margo Reed. Margo Reed. Second. <clears throat> and seconded with the secretary, please call the roll. On the motion to adjourn, Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. Aye. Commissioner Hallisey. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. Commissioner Mazzola. Aye. <laughs>
Thank you, everybody. Have a Thank lovely you. day. Is there an agenda setting meeting? There you go. Uh, four hours and ten.